and welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast about our gaming group. I'm your host, Tom Donnelly, and joined with me is the game designer himself, Trey Alsop. How you doing, Trey? Hello, Thomas Dean Donnelly. Oh, bringing that high energy that I loved. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. I love Gotta to stay hear. on brand, buddy. <laughs> uh, and we also have a co-pilot with us in the co-pilot seat this time, Ben Mandelker. Ben, do you have more energy to contribute to this podcast today? Not really. Oh, you you son of a gun. You, I know you're I'm not that way. I'm full of energy. You know me. I can't stop talking. <laughs> I can't stop talking. And I have to say, I love that you said that you were joined with Trey on this episode. So I'm just imagining you guys are actually stuck together physically at yeah. this moment, recording. Well, you could be we're joined by somebody, or or I could be joined in, with in solidarity with with, mm. my, with my friend Trey. I was just thinking today about how how our gaming group spans the gamut of people we've known for a very short period of time. Ben, I've, I've known you for a very short period of time. I feel like I've known you for decades, but I've only known you oh. for a very short period short period of time, and it's been an absolute delight to to count you as a as a friend. But Trey and I, Trey, do you realize how long we've been friends? It's, yeah, but let's not say that. We're not going to say we're not going to say how long because it's obscene. It is a really crazy number of years that we've been uh, uh, that we've been friends. So this is uh, this is the gamut, right? That's the the oldest uh, friendship. The oldest this is this friend, the, the oldest this is the longest relationship in Game Brain is me and Trey, and uh, and and Ben, you and uh, you and us are I guess is probably the shortest one. So how about that? Wow, I'm still, but still so deciding it's a, if it's relationship, <laughs> friendship. <laughs> Where did Dimitri come into the fold? I thought he was also shortly a thereafter. After. Shortly thereafter. Mm. Yeah, uh, I met Dimitri at USC Film School, and Trey and I are friends from Vassar, and maybe even a tiny bit before that. But fr- friends <laughs> wow. from Vassar, yes. So, so under Trey and I are undergrad buddies, and uh, Dimitri is grad buddy. Dimitri, as seen in the Hulu film. <laughs> In and of itself. Are you really going to uh, give Dimitri a plug now? Go ahead, do it. Oh, okay. So, uh, did you did you know did you know about this? Was I uh, was I the only one who was caught off guard by this? Did, oh no, did anyone no, know no. about this? Oh, I didn't know about it. Oh, Dimitri. Okay. Dimitri. Yeah. No. Dimitri is a man is of uh, Dimitri is a man of mystery. You have to realize that he is he is a guy that that goes and does things and has experiences, and then all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, is that Dimitri at Burning Man? <laughs> This was, I mean, listen, I, I, like you said, I'm new to the group. I'm still getting to know everyone. So I still, I feel like there's still so much to learn about Dimitri. But one thing I feel like I have picked up on is that um, this may have been like such a quintessential Dimitri thing to do, which is I'm watching this movie. I'm not going to really say it's, it's, it's a, it's a filmed version of a stage. No, say it. You know, it's sort of like a magic show, but there's a lot of stuff. And there's like a big part with a lot. There's a big, there's a lot, there's a big scene that involves a large amount of audience interaction. And, and, uh, they were going from audience member to audience member to audience member. And we're seeing like Bill Gates, W. Kamal Bot Bell, <laughs> Tim Gunn, and then all of a sudden Dimitri. It's like, I was like, "What?" And it's like this very emotional moment where you're like on the verge of tears. And I'm like, "Oh my god, this is the most amazing thing!" I'm like, "Wait, Dimitri?" And it was like a close up. It wasn't like he was in the background. No. It wasn't like, "Oh, there he." I think I see Dimitri. It was like, and now Dimitri. And the Bill record, Gates, and the Dimitri. record scratches, and everything stops. And you're like, "Wait a minute." I'm totally pulled out of this thing. <laughs> like, what the I, I, hell is Dimitri doing there? 
what is Dimitri doing in the middle of this like buzzworthy Hulu movie? <laughs> <laughs> name of the film. Tell it. Tell, tell us the name of it. It's called In and of Itself. In and of Itself. And and your review of the film, you, you liked it? I've heard great things. Uh, I liked it. Yeah, yeah. It was cool. It was definitely um, – it's interesting. I, I, the I won't say pe- people are go, losing their mind over it. Yeah. I don't think I lost my mind over it, but I will say that the last like fifteen or twenty minutes, I was like, "Oh, whoa!" You know. Yeah. But uh, as a film as a whole, I thought it was like, "Yeah, that's cool." Okay, that's cool. All right. Is this the one that's like it's a magic show, but it's not a magic show, and they? Yeah, but... it's like, who are you? And I'm gonna tell you by magic. Yeah, and I don't want to diminish it by calling it a magic show. That's right. That's why I'm like. Well, that's the whole thing. It's like, mm, this looks like a play. It looks like a performance. But what you're about to see is something more. So that's kind of like the vibe of it. Why would that diminish it to say that it's a magic show? Magic is, a, is an ancient and fantastic art. I don't understand. I think this is something that Frank Oz, the director, has talked about on podcasts that I listen to. <laughs> that they're trying to like break out of people pigeonholing them in terms of what they do. And he's a guy who's certainly been pigeonholed. And that's what the entire movie is about is like the labels that you use to define yourself and that others use to define you. So for instance, labels like, you know, the game designer or the opinionated gamer. We're so much more than that. (laughs) We are, aren't we? (laughs) And there's a label that we have on this podcast that it's a board gaming podcast, which tells us that this is round 10, turn seven. (laughs) And we are going to talk about, not Magic, not Dimitri Portnoy, but we're going to be talking about the 2021 release, Carnegie, by Xavier Georges. And then we're going to get elegant, and we're going to discuss what that means in games. What is an elegant game? And we're going to finish up with all three of our top five elegant games list. What do you say we get right into it and get into talking about this week's game night? Yes. Trey, what do you play this week? So we had, uh, of course, we had numerous games of Carnegie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe we may have played a game of Terraforming Mars on iOS that went very well for one of us. <laughs> and uh, also got in uh, one game. I, th- I can I can see the thing, the direction things are going. There's going to be some games of Res Arcana played in within the the group here in the immediate uh future and i got in one game with matt and uh friend of the pod david gillison oh can i can i just can i sigh dismissively did that come across i'm not sure uh Mm. ben what about you what do you play this week um i uh i got another uh session in of 1817 uh which was so much fun. I've, I'm really, really enjoying that. I'm getting basically an 18xx game in every week. This is like, uh, that's, it's amazing. That's unbelievable. So <laughs> I know it's really crazy. Um, so I got that in. Um, I played uh, Brussels 1897, which is the card game version of 1893. Mm-hmm. I think that cool, cool, cool ID, bro, bro. But uh, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna stick with the the main one. The main, I just, it was just like. To me, it's just I don't see the point. I don't see the point really. It's it was it was the I, I the point is that you can travel with it more, which I think does have some value. But sure. generally speaking, if you're looking for the Brussels 1893 experience, go to Brussels 1893. And then um, 
We've been playing a lot of Carnegie. And then, yes, we had that Terraforming Mars uh, session, which was really good because I felt like I finally got to really enact a strong revenge on Trey because our previous session, Trey stole eight plants from me and (laughs) took down like one or two of my plant production. And uh, it really sent me like spiraling mentally. By the end, it started to feel personal, didn't it? I mean, I certainly. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I felt I felt like it was very, very targeted, and I'm um, still waiting for his apology. But at the same time, um, I, in this last game, I I kind of brutalized Trey, and he still won. And I felt like I felt I felt like all was was well in the universe again. Oh, there you go. See, now, do you guys think? Because we were having when we talk about terraforming Mars, the the app. Do we think that there that it's a buggy app? Do we think that there are problems with it? Because we certainly, I mean, I certainly had times where I had to turn off my phone, reboot my phone, and start it up again just to get it working properly. Now, one per, when it happens to one person, maybe that's maybe that's your phone. But for multiple people, maybe there's a, maybe there's a problem. Do we think that there is a problem with the app and it still needs some work? I think it's no. I I think that it is not one hundred percent. Uh, but I don't think we've had any games actually like crash or get lost. Yeah, that's true. On on us, and I know it's it's come a long way. Um, I do think it does matter the platform somewhat. Like the worst that's happened to me is like you play a turn, you go away, you come back, and the game hasn't advanced, and it kind of has you play this your turn over again, and you have to kind of like remake your yeah. selections. And so it does seem like it can kind of get hung up on the. Hey, has everyone gone? Especially on the uh, when you're passing cards yeah. section, like that Card seems draft. to me where it's gotten hung up. But I haven't experienced what Ben has, where Ben actually felt like he was seeing real glitches in the cards that were drawn and discarded, and he was like seeing the same cards multiple times. Ben wants to talk about that. Yeah, uh, this last this last game was really wonky uh, in terms of the glitches for me. Like my glitches up to that point had been what you guys had de- had detailed, but this time. Um, I had a session where at the end of like the, a draft, it was like, okay, pick which cards you want. And it was five cards that I had. And I was like, that's not right. And then um, I had a situation where I, I had one of those powers where it's like, uh, you know, look at a card from the top of the deck and, you know, you can decide to keep it or not. And um, it was giving me duplicates of cards I already had. And, and at one point I, I thought, well, maybe if I take the card, it'll then like reveal what it really is. Like maybe somehow it's like not linking to the proper art asset. Mm. And then I was like, no, I actually had two of the same cards, which and then happened multiple times. So there was definitely some something weird going on. And then um, my my only my major quibble in terms of the stuff that does work is uh, I would really like them to um, do something visually to to highlight when a card is no longer playable, meaning that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, temperature is at 10 degrees and a card can only be played, let's say, um, um, at, at a maximum of like negative, negative 18 or something like that. Right. And so that time has come and gone. And they just make it, they don't really highlight it in a way that's easy to see. And there were so many times right. where I was like, oh, I'm totally taking this card. I was like, wait, I can't do anything with it. Right, so so, yep. so yep. you're saying that it's the game's fault that you don't read the cards. That's correct. Okay, yeah, good. That is correct. Just, the just game check. is supposed to facilitate my experience. Gotcha. And, like, like in real know, life, when when the card starts to glow and tells you that you can't play this. Yeah. When you play. Well, it. actually, in real life, there is like prominent. Um, there is prominent <laughs> iconography, and in the game, there's a small thing in the upper left hand corner 
And if you don't <laughs> click on the card to actually blow it up, there's a good chance that small thing in the upper left-hand corner is covered with text that also says, it's your turn. Choose a card. Oh, so, so yes, I will. Okay. I will blame the game right. for my okay. my laziness. All right, uh, just, it's still a definite recommend for me, though. Like oh, I, I, yeah. I think it's great. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm loving it. I, I I want us to start another game today. I, I, okay. I'm really enjoying it uh, very much. I don't so like. Fun. I don't like the corporations that have been picked for me, but <laughs> <laughs> there's yeah. That's by the way. We have to there's, a, there's a post in the, the, the no, there's a post on the terraforming Mars thing that separates the the. Uh, corporations into five tiers, and by the way, it's it, it's not one hundred percent, but it's not no. bad. It's not it's not bad. I don't I disagree with some of them, but as a general rule, it's not bad. I have in the three games I've played of it, I have gotten a choice between a tier five and a tier five, a tier five and a tier five, and a tier five and a tier five. So mm. <laughs> just like, what do I got to do? To get uh, to get to get out of the the worst tier of uh, of corporations, but you have to be uh, a better person. I obviously. guess I guess that's what I got to do. So I played Terraforming Mars, as we said. I played Cardi, as we said. Um, I continue to have great tournaments, nightly tournaments of Crokinole with my wife, um, and I think you, you, there's that bowling thing. I think I talked about where you can get so good at crokinole to some degree that you're almost always hitting that center thing. I think I am so dexterously disadvantaged that I don't think I'll ever get to the point where I can just flick the disc and get it into that center space like even even 20% of the time. So I think this is going to be a game I can play for a very long time solely because I'm horrible at it. And mm-hmm. yeah, tremendously enjoy it. Really have a lot of fun. Uh and I had another session of my uh my Ongoing Dungeons and Dragons game with uh, with uh, a lot of fr- uh, friends of the pod, and uh, yeah, I'm having a f- I'm having a fun time with the Dungeons and Dragons thing. <laughs> you think this pandemic? It's not so hey, bad. It's not so bad. Yeah, let's come. Let's come. <laughs> this pandemic. Well, I, I mean, we, I have I, I don't like Dungeons and Dragons. I, I love role playing games. I don't like Dungeons and Dragons. Haven't for a long time, and haven't played it in decades. You were going to ask a question, Ben. No, mine was a little bit off topic. Okay, well, let me, uh, so let me, let me, let me finish, finish up. Dungeons and Dragons. Sure. Yeah. yeah. The, the one thing is, is that uh, Andrew Ryer, who comes to our, he, he lives in New Jersey, but he's out here in LA on business all the time and pre-pandemic yep. would come to, he was at more game nights than some of the people that live just a few blocks from me right. and um, would be a regular attendee. He plays this curmudgeonly annoying just horrible wizard, right? Like a, a magic user. And he gets so visibly frustrated and annoyed with my character. Um, that <laughs> an alternate win condition, clearly. Well, yeah, I, st- I, I really, I don't know at this point, is he just really good role player, like totally in character <laughs> or, does he not enjoy my presence at the table? <laughs> mm. You're not playing it right, Tom. You're not min-maxing your character. No, he is. He is, he is definitely not. We, we have we have one. We have one. Kristoff, of course. Uh, oh, Trey, Trey knows. Trey knows Kristoff. Uh, we've gone to Gen Con several times together. We call him the love cha- Kristoff. By the way, love Kristoff. Love Kristoff. We call him the Chaos Monkey. He he He's will walk in. Monkey. He will walk into a if if Kristoff walks into a room where people are going to LARP and uh, pays his money and gets a character sheet. It is the equivalent of tossing in five fragmentation grenades. <laughs> oh, wow. 
I don't I, – I, I, and I can't explain why and I can't explain how, but, oh, my God, things just – things go so quickly off the rails with him. And uh, but in Dungeons and Dragons, it's 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 that, but it's much more minimized. It's much more minimized, and he is much more a min max or rules guy. So, which actually is kind of a good thing. But anyway, uh, so so yeah, that's that's my observation in Dungeons and Dragons that I I genuinely do not know if my if if my friend Andrew is being an awesome role player or if I am a super annoying person. <laughs> You know what, Tom? Yes. I'm so glad you brought that yes. up. Yes, you are annoying. That's been that's everyone knows that. Sure. Listens. But that being said, I'm just joking, <laughs> of course. But that being said, um, I totally had a session with my therapist uh, a few weeks ago because I was kind of having a, a semi existential crisis of like, am I am I annoying at the table? Am I like, do, do people not like me? Am I, I think I'm being funny and I'm being like, and I'm like, am I just like a, like an asshole at the table? And it got into a whole discussion about personas. And, uh, I think maybe the next time I'm the guest, maybe that'll be the, the topics. I'm, I'm not going to get into it now because it really, it goes places and it was yeah. so fascinating. But, um, I think that what you're feeling about like, like, am I am I annoying at the table? Right. It was sort of something that I went through, and uh, you know, I, I I'm, I'd be very excited to share with you on a future episode, sort of the the discoveries and the epiphanies that I found. I would I would love to hear. I think that's a great topic. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a there's a lot of there's a lot there that probably a lot of people wonder about, like who who you who you are versus your gaming persona, and where is the line between them? Yeah, 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 and and how I'm having fun, but are other people having fun with me? I think right, is a right. thing that I, that I sometimes wonder about. It's the old uh, poker expression, right? If you uh, if you can't pick out the sucker at the table, it's you. Mm. And every once in a while, I, I'm like, huh, I'm not sure, but I could be misreading this whole thing. And, and I, yeah. <laughs> I think I'm being incredibly charming. <laughs> yeah, Same. a little I bit. I always think I'm so charming. Look, I, I don't generally feel this way. Uh, it's, it's not a very common <laughs> thing. I'm usually I, I, pretty oblivious to it. <laughs> <laughs> no, Trey, I, I'm, I'm, I make LARPs fun, right? I, I'm a, I, I, I tend to be a person that, that people, people like sad. to have in these situations, but Dungeons and Dragons is a different thing. It's a really different right. thing. There are conventions and expectations in that game that, that maybe I'm butting up against that. Maybe I'm, right. you know, yeah. sabotaging the type of game that they want to have because I don't. That's one of the reasons I don't like Dungeons and Dragons because I don't like that type of game. So I don't know. Mm. We'll find out. I say good for you. Thank I you, say sir. if you are disrupting it, that's the whole point, right? Right. Be a disruptor because yeah. this game's been around. I'm not for sure I do. Like years. I know you're making a joke. I th- it is important for players wow, to that be was dismissive. Sorry, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But no, uh, I do think it is important that players be on the same page as yes. far as like it doesn't mean you guys have to play the same characters yeah. or act the same way, but like there should be some expectations about this is the game we're playing yes. these are kind of things like and we uh tom you and i deal with this all the time in larp yes you know you, you think you're playing certain games and you find out no other people think they're playing a different game and like that yes. can be a problem because suddenly like my fun that i'm having being a horse's ass in the middle of this larp is actually like undermining their serious emotional completely journey det- yeah, that they're on yes. in this game in which they're ex- you know they're exploring certain emotions and power dynamics and 
you're just being a jerk. Yeah, there, there's a there's a shared narrative contract that you enter into yeah. when you're playing a role play when you're playing a role playing game, and sometimes it doesn't need to be stated overtly, but probably a lot of problems come up because it's not, and it should be. That should be a, a negotiation right at the beginning of the of the game. At the, the session one, should be a a meeting of the minds as to what our expectations are, what kind of game are we playing, what what uh, what narrative space are we going to be in and that and that kind of thing so yeah that's could you sort of do a casual like um testing the temperature of the room maybe just like you know casually talk to to one of the people and they'll be like hey you know just you know um i just want to make sure you know i'm just being joking trying to have fun but i just want to make sure that that's you know if if it's if it's rubbing people the wrong way i can dial it back i want to make sure i'm like in sync with what what the the vibe that people want you know but these are actually high school friends of mine so these are people i've known for ever and i feel like like they they generally don't have a problem telling me they know <laughs> who you fine. are they, they, they do know fine. who you are they, they kind of yeah. know what they they know who i am they kind of know what they what they were getting into so i'm gonna i'm not gonna do that what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna hmm. i'm gonna plow on with the with the guess or i'm gonna i'm gonna live in a fantasy in which Andrew Ryer is one of the greatest role-playing gamers I've ever seen and is doing an amazing job of this, and I'm going to continue to be my oblivious character that I play and going th- and going through that experience. And then if later I find out he says I never want to play a role-playing game with you, I'll, I'll be fine with that. I'm still having a good time. <laughs> the, good news, the good news is is that if they listen to the podcast, at this point you've guilted them into silence, so now they have to keep you for the rest of the campaign. Andrew does listen to the podcast. <laughs> I don't think he's going to be guilted in anything. No, <laughs> he, he is. No, we, we've played uh, many rounds of Avalon with him. He he does not respond to that. He he, he is a, okay. a man of his own mind. Let's. Well, I think. I, I, yeah, I think that you. I think it's. I think it's great that you are having um, self awareness. Actually, I actually do think that's really good that you're for mo- you're you're thinking about the other people in your group. And I think that's really important. And I think that if you if you are at a point where you're having some self-awareness, yeah. um, then then you've already shown the, the instinct that that leads you to that self-awareness is probably the instinct that is um, keeping your your bantery thing that you're doing in line with the tone of the table. So you're probably okay. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it actually comes from LARP. Uh, LARP is such is one of these things that when you start to get better at it you start to realize that I'm I'm less focused on my character and what I'm doing and I'm more focused on what can I do to make this interaction I'm in more fun for you and yeah. it, there's a very there's a it's a very improv sherry uh sh- sharing sort of thing and I find that now when I co- go back to a tabletop role playing game I'm doing that all I'm I'm kind of trying to do that all the time so anyway we shall we shall find out continue. if it's uh, yeah i'm sure I'll, I'll get an email from him this week and we'll find out whether or not <laughs> my my fears are manifest let's get on to the news good evening mr listen off of south america all let's go to press we got a lot of news this week so let's uh let's see if we can get through it uh first up there is a game from Stonemeyer Games, uh, designed by Jamie Stegmeyer and Alexander Schmidt, called Red Rising. Uh, Red Rising is uh, named after the futuristic dystopian novels by Pierce Brown. Did anybody ever read the Red Rising series at all? I read the. F- I have. 
I, I have not known. I read the first one. Uh, it, it's it's pretty good. It's not bad. It, the idea is um, it's set on Mars, a futuristic society that's divided into all these different castes, right? These uh, social classes, and each social class has a color, right? And it's from the point of view of a red. And the red are the ones that are out there on the surface of Mars trying to, you know, ter- trying to terraform Mars. <laughs> they're, trying to, they're trying to build things and fix things and make it so that life, so that people will eventually be able to live on the surface of Mars. And this character finds out in the first book that, oh, my God, no, if you go, if you go any, in that direction or that direction or that direction for a little bit, there are... Uh, domed cities and parks and all sorts of stuff. This, it's a total lie. This is a the, the, the red cast is basically living in slavery, being told that you're that that you have to do this hard work just so we can survive. And no, they've been they, they've been living on the surface for years and years and years. And then he tries to infiltrate the gold cast, the sort of noble highest level cast, and so on and so forth. Uh, I haven't read the rest of the novels, but I thought the first one was quite quite good. Um, this game is going to be a hand management combo building game, so a, a card-based game. should take about an hour. You start with five cards, and uh, the cards that you play, I believe, start with your own faction and then move out from there. So, uh, Trey, does it, does it sound a little Game of Thronesy to you a little bit in terms of the factions and all that? Uh, maybe, sure. I mean, ha- I mean, it goes back to magic, right? Different color, sure. Cards with different functions. It looks like it plays one to six. Yes. Uh, game of Thrones was kind of set up to be one on one, two player game. Yeah. And then they had a four player, which was kind of a whole different thing called melee. Whereas this seems lighter, and I don't think it's deck construction. I don't think people are putting together decks before they show up. I Correct. think it's more like you're gonna what sit down and play, and then you're. You're going to spin off from there. Yeah, I think this is. I think this would be closer to the Dominion model of uh, yeah. of uh, building up your building up your hand and uh, building combos out of the cards that you have. Right. Yeah. So yeah. definitely, definitely. So not like uh, I guess not like Game of Thrones in that sense, but I do think that the that uh, the factions, if the the different colors of cards have strong proclivities. I thought the Game of Thrones uh, card game did an amazing job of of really having decks that felt very thematic and very different and really urged you towards different styles of play, right? That's the potential, right? Yeah, yeah. That's no, I mean, Jamie, I mean Jay, obviously, Jamie's got a pretty good track record here so that anything that he puts out, I'm going to want to check out. Yeah. So I'm excited to try this. And uh, this should be uh, this is going to be coming out on February sixteenth. It's going to be uh, um, on uh, Kickstarter, and one dollar from each game is going to be donated to the ACLU to support the rights oh. of the underrepresented and marginalized. So great, yeah, yeah. I, I, I love that. I'm, I'm glad that he's. I'm glad that he's doing that. Good on you, Jamie Stegmeyer. Mm, yeah, we're fans. Uh, next up, a game called Stroganoff. Uh, unfortunately, am I am I am I the jerk that whenever I hear the word Stroganoff, I can only think of beef Stroganoff? No, that's that's where I, I went. It's Everybody su- thinks that. Yeah, it's Americans super, think that. Yeah. It, it's yeah. super sad because he was an interesting historical figure. Uh, Stroganoff is a game by Andreas Stedding, so Hansa mm. Teutonica and Gugon and so on and so forth. Uh, great designer. This is his new game. One to four players plays in around ninety minutes. Supposed to be medium weight and gorgeous. 
It is about yeah. expanding across the Russian steppe, you know, uh, and uh, trading furs and making, uh, you know, visiting villages and yurts and fulfilling the czar's wishes. And uh, it looks absolutely stunning. Andreas is a really, really interesting designer. So if it plays half as well as it looks, this is going to be a game to watch out for, for sure. Right? Yeah, this mm-hmm. is so pretty. <laughs> right? I mean, just, just looking at a single image of the of the board immediately is like, okay, yeah, I, I definitely want to try this. It looks good. It looks like the right weight. It also does the thing that uh, Transcontinental kind of did where it's got uh, different landscape mm-hmm. tiles that you then kind of looks like you put together as part of your own like personal tableau as you as the game progresses that kind of creates a a varied landscape that's very pretty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It reminds me a little bit of uh, Aura and Labora that way where you're 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 building out your own your own board and the decisions you make as far as that goes can be very consequential as well. When I first saw the art on this, I wondered if it was the same artist who had done Scythe. Yeah. And it, it's not, but it, it is kind of in that same kind of style minus the mechs. Oh, like the, I think the, the, the board cover, I mean, the, I mean the, uh, the box cover looks... Yeah. Looks, if you put a, a mech in the background, it would look exactly right. like that, right? But I think that's also part, partly that uh, Scythe was set in this, in this arena, in this area, just in the, in the future, right? Yeah, I think um, also, I mean, what's so funny is uh, Hansa Teutonica famously for the longest time had this box that I think for a lot of people was was like the the typical stereotypical dry Euro game box of a guy, a solemn guy just sitting there staring at you at a desk. And um, and now we have Stroganoff where you have this this box with a some sort of stag, you know, being surrounded by soldiers in this this sort of amber field and mist in the and the hillsides it's like it's so evocative it kind of says a lot actually actually about where the industry has gone in the past 10 years or so uh in terms of putting an emphasis on these visuals and saying like this is going to be we this is going to be an experience beyond just the gameplay like we want this to be a full visual immersive experience for you Absolutely, absolutely, and this is yeah. Gonna it's be already a-, a ten out of ten on like table presence. If you were walking past this game, everybody at your stop. local con, you would stop and hundred percent, hundred percent. This one is going to be on uh, Kickstarter on February fifteenth. So we got some good Kickstarters coming up. Um, speaking of Kickstarter, there is a game that is going to be going off Kickstarter in just a few days, and uh, kind of slipped my notice, but uh, I want to make mention of it for for an interesting reason. It's called Scribble Town. Scribble Town is a city building roll and write game. Now, I, I think I've made myself clear. I don't. I think that uh, roll and write games. I'm glad that there aren't. Uh, you know that that fad is fading a little bit at least for me personally because i don't love uh multiplayer solitaire games but scribble town is just a little bit different right what you're doing is you're going to roll two dice uh one die has uh, all six sides are different uh shapes they're types of buildings or whatever the other side is either setting a is either a road die or it's 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 changing that thing and you're drawing on a hex map and each of the buildings that you're building have rules, right? They, you lose points if, it's, if this building is next to this building. You gain points. So fairly typical in, in that sort of sense. The thing is, though, in this game is that it kind of 
takes a design cue from Splatter in mm. that there is waste that is picked up. Like when you do, a lot of the placements that you have are going to generate waste. And when you generate enough waste, you are going to create a rubble pile, which means one of those hexes is just, you're going to take that dry erase marker and just scratch it off. And that thing is just destroyed. And everything around that is going to be penalized because of that. And the cool thing about it is that when you get to the point where you got to make a rubble pile, you don't make the rubble pile. You pass your, you pass your player mat to the player on your left and they choose where the rubble pile goes, which so it, it sounds mean. It does sound mean, doesn't it? <laughs> doesn't it? I mean, you know, for a sweet little roll and write, that mechanism is really interesting. I think that's a it's re- like cartographers, like with the monsters and yeah. the cartographers. Yeah, you know? a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Anyway, I would say I would say check it out. It's going off of. Uh, I think I think it's only got a few days left on Kickstarter. When you listen to this, uh, check it out. Who knows? I-, I thought it was a very interesting looking design. So, take a little peek. Uh, digitally, we got to tell you that uh, Fury of Dracula Digital Edition is going to be on iOS and Android on February seventeenth. Fury of Dracula, of course, is uh, one of the Scotland Yard games, is what I like to call them. They are hidden movement games in which it is one player against many. Many players are trying to track down the person that is somewhere on the map, but we don't know where. And uh, that person is trying to, in some games, escape. And in some games, uh, Fury of Dracula, uh, they might have other options besides simply escape. Have you guys played uh, Fury of Dracula? I haven't. Sorry to not yes and that. No, no, I no. If, if you haven't, if you haven't, you haven't. Um, it, it is plays Fury of Dracula the, like the um, is it the, like kind of like the Sherlock Holmes where you're chasing Dracula around Europe? Is yes. that it or yeah? Okay. Yes, I have. Yeah, uh, I I think it's a, I think it's a solid game. What What's interesting to me is is the digital version. I think I think maybe hidden movement games might be the very best types of games to to implement digitally. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I would. I think that could be a really. That's. I feel like that would work really well with the digital medium. Yeah, absolutely, and it's a good game. I th- I, I, I like the game very much. I, I like, I, I like asymmetrical games very much. When an, an asymmetrical game works, I I love it. It's a joy because they're so hard to design, they're so hard mm-hmm. to balance and to and to make work right. And so when you have one that does, especially one atmospheric like this, I would, uh, I'm really looking forward to checking this out. It's going to be priced at $4.99, um, and uh, you can even pre-order the iOS version right now and pre-register for the Android version on Google Play. Uh, yeah, check it out. Maybe you like That's it. awesome. Yeah. Um, I just am, I just, I'm always a fan when things get digital versions anyway. I just feel like it's just... Anytime I can, I can easily sample a game that way. I think that's always helpful. Whether it's board game arena, digital, an app, um, you know, that's that I think is actually doing a huge service to gamers. Totally, totally. Um, uh, next up, Gavin Brown, one of the designers of uh, Brass Birmingham. Ben, you found this. I, I can't. I never saw it. This was this. I, I saw it a few weeks ago, and I forgot to sort of tell you guys, but. Um, uh, there was like a thread on uh, on the Brass Birmingham forums. Um, uh, were there uh, um, buried David Tersey buried buried in there. David Tersey, am I saying his name correctly? Tersey, Turksey, Turksey. Um, maybe he had come up. Yeah, a few months ago he had come up with kind of a variant of Brass 
that he calls like uh, Isle of White. A two-player and brass variant, yes. White, yeah. Isle and so um, people like it, and and people are are hoping that Roxley, you know, picks it up and publishes it. And so there was a thread going back and forth, like, why won't Roxley do this? Well, can Roxley do this? And uh, then in the middle of it, Gavin Brown said. Sorry, basically, he said, sorry, we can't do that because we're working on our uh, sequel to Brass Birmingham, which will be out in 2022. It's just this like little Easter egg <laughs> buried in this thread. But it's like that's kind of major news, I think, that there's a sequel to Brass Birmingham coming out. What? What? Yeah. Well, what? Major. Very much looking forward to that. Of course, 2022, no news whatsoever about what it'll be. But. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but after do, doing the review of uh, of Brass Birmingham and going back and playing those games, they're so good, and I think both of them are really, really good games, and just different enough that they do feel they do feel uh, like like they're different games. Like like I can play one and then play the other and not feel like I'm doing the exact same thing, right? Because the strategies yeah. are fairly significantly different. I I really love it. Um. Yeah. We Are French is announcing the new edition of Iki, uh, two to four player game by uh, Kuta Yamada. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the, Ben? This is another one. This is another one from you. You have been <laughs> you have been single handedly flogging this game for some time now. So so here you go. It's coming out. Uh, it's going to yeah. be published wide. Tell us tell us what we need to know about Iki. I'm a little nervous because I have been uh, championing this game on the podcast a little bit, and I'm afraid that you guys are all going to play it, and, <laughs> and then I'll be kicked out of the group. But um, <laughs> I, I, I love it. I, uh, it's basically a game set in Edo-era Japan, and you're in a marketplace. I forget the name of the marketplace, but a real one. And you are it's, it's essentially a rondelle game, and you're sending – you have these guys that go to the marketplace, and they go to the stalls. And when they go to the stalls, they get goods and they go around and around the loop. And, you know, you, you get the goods to, to do various things. You may need some things to feed your workers at the end of the season. You may need to do some stuff to um, stave off a fire that happens three times a game. You may need to do some stuff so we can build some buildings. You know, typical resource kind of things. But there's also this element where um, you can hire people. And when you hire people, you put them in those stalls. And so um, that's good because when people visit, but it's good because you can visit your guy and you can get something that you need. So you can sort of, you can sort of tailor these dolls to, for your strategy. But also when other people go to these guys, stuff happens and it can contribute to your engine. Ultimately, I'm not going to get into all the details, but it's a really beautiful game. Um, Oh, I've just loved it, loved it, loved it. Um, I recommend people go uh, look at some of the uh, some of the the run throughs that are out there on on BGG, and you'll get a sense of it. Uh, that's what I used uh, to make my purchase, and I've just just adored the game. So this is it's it's it was uh, had an extremely limited um, initial run, and uh, now it's getting a a big a big thing from uh, We Are French, and there is a little bit bit of controversy because We Are French is redoing the art. And the original art was um, in a different style. The original art was in a style that was uh, seems to be, you know, more authentic to Japanese art. Mm. But um, uh, so that has gone by the wayside, and a lot of people are upset about that. A lot of people from, who have the original edition are are really pissed because there was a it was beautiful art, and it was very charming, and it was very lovely, and it made sense with the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and the new art is. Um, but the new art's good. 
I think it, the new art looks, is good. It's it just looks different. beautiful, but it it definitely looks safer, right? It looks more traditional, more more gamey, right? It's it's characters yes. that are drawn in a normal fashion. Whereas how, the, how do you yeah. spell the name of this game? I K I, I K I. Um, you might even see I, uh, I wrote like a very extensive review for it on my blog back <laughs> in like 2015. Um, so <laughs> it seemed like a wonderful review. Like I feel like I wrote such a good review at the time. You know, I don't know if it still holds up, but if you so there here's is the a, thing, there is a, looking <clears throat> at the old art, it is really it draws the eye. It's dynamic. It's interesting. It's almost cartoony it's somewhere in between yeah. a cartoon and that japanese calligraphic style of uh, yeah. uh, of that it's in between the two though which is kind of really interesting um the newer version on the one hand looks better question mark because it's it's more representational and obviously more money was spent on the art assets it looks like um, but at the same time, it just looks more generic. It looks more yeah. like the, a lot of the other, uh, you know, uh, a lot of the, the art of a lot of games. Also, the original art for Iki, the original game board, was patterned after an, a mural that exists in Japan. Mm. Uh, I'm sorry, I, I don't remember the actual town. Um, but apparently, I think it's actually in a, I could be wrong. I believe it's actually hanging right now in a subway station, like prominently as a piece of art. But it, it, the point is, it is based on a piece of art from that period, and I think the art style in the game, in the original version, all stems from that. And so I think a lot of people are, you know, they're they're upset because they love that art, sure. um, and it is it is wonderful art. But my feeling is this: I love the original art, um, but I think the game is so good that if we have to uh, maybe have slightly more generic art for the sake of getting this game to people's hands, because I think it's a really special game. I'm okay with that, ultimately. Well, I, I you better be, because as we've, <laughs> oh. dis, as we've discussed, <laughs> when, when we play Iki, that will determine whether or not you remain in the Game Brain crew. I mean, you know, you've been That's telling true. us how, how, how amazing it is. It, it, it's, it's put up or shut up time. We, we're going to have to just take a look and then, you know, reevaluate your membership. <laughs> They've also tweaked so, a few little rules, by the way. Just if, uh, so, as far as I can tell, they've tweaked some rules. Not sure if that will have an impact or not, but there is there is that too. Just a little note to our listeners here: um, we annotate all of these podcasts. So, if you're thinking I didn't get the name of something, kind of like what happened to me there, it's like I don't know how to spell this. Any game we talk about in this podcast, it will be in our show notes. So you can go in your podcast, you can click on the link, and it'll take you to whatever game that we're talking about here. So I don't know how many people know that, but we spend a lot of time, or I spend a lot of time annotating the podcast. So you can always check the show notes and go to a link. Yeah, yeah. That, that it, it, it takes quite, quite an amount of time and quite an amount of effort, and we thank Trey so much. Uh, for doing Absolutely. that, because it's it, it's uh, it's invaluable. <laughs> click on my links. Click on click on Trey's links. He spends <laughs> no, hours. His fingers should. are That's bleeding. A, uh, that is a lot of work. It's a lot of work. So for sure, I feel like actually it's really important that we all appreciate that uh, that work that you do because totally. that's major. And, well, and Dimitri and did and it for like well. the first right. yeah. yeah first sixty episodes of the show. So Dimitri was the original annotator. Yes, <laughs> yes. Before he went on to before he went on to fame and in Hulu. He was fired for cause. Let's just say, no, he was, <laughs> he, he was not. He was not in any way. Uh, two more games. We've got a lot of games today. Uh, now or Never is the new Ryan Lockett game. 
Uh, Ryan Lockett is a game designer who did Near and Far and Above and Below, I believe, are the other two in this series. And this is the third one, Now or Never. The interesting interesting thing about these games is that they tell kind of a continuous story. Uh, Near and Far is about refugees fleeing a, a land beset by war. Uh, above and Below are them trying to settle in a new place and exploring both the underground caves of a town and building a town above. above. And now, now or Never uh, is a group of people coming back to the place that they fled uh, and dealing with the rumors of bizarre monsters. And uh, a couple things cool about this is that, first of all, Ryan Lockett is not just the designer, he's also the artist. And the art is striking. It's beautiful. It's uh, these the, All three of these games are put together from, from a visual design perspective in some very interesting ways. Uh, the second thing is that these are story games. These are games that uh, play as a game, but also have a game book. And when you make a choice, you open the game book and you see what happens, as it were. So it's a little choose-your-own-adventure, wouldn't you say, Trey? Well, I haven't played it, but I did. I mean, the whole game book idea is something we talked about with Jaws of the Lion, yes. right? Like that. I think we're going to see more of this in a lot of games. Totally. So I'm eager to try. I'm eager to try this one. Yeah. Uh, the, the interesting. So in Above and Below. You have to. There's pretty much only one way to play it, which is going through the through the storybook. And uh, for me, it was a near miss. First of all, it's a little light for my for for my mm. play style. Um, right. But also, it's it's almost it's not quite enough story to be a great story game. But there's enough story in it that the mechanics of the game don't make it a great euro. You know what I mean? It was kind of in between the two and never quite enough of one to really hit. Uh, this new version, the Now or Never uh, version, has two modes of play, standard and story. So you can play a version which you're going through the storybook or you can play where you're simply playing the mechanics of the game. Maybe that's going to be maybe that's going to answer that question for me. Maybe that's going to solve that problem. I'm trying to think is there any game cuz we've had a lot of these games that end up being a little choose your own adventure and like it seems like the writing never is anywhere close to what we would like it to be like and i feel like maybe there's a few games that are like detective games De like sherlock holmes yeah. detective like the writing has been good in good enough in those games but like outside of those particular ones does anybody have any where they feel like oh no the writing's really good in this game yeah, uh, you know, I mean, we're all we're all writers, so we're all jerks, and we we don't, we don't, yeah. we don't like what I've, anyone else wrote. Um, yeah, I, I haven't seen any, but you know, maybe board gaming will start to move in the direction of video games, which is that you know, video games have sort of merged with Hollywood to some extent, and you know, the mm -hmm. quality of Not writing and some video games has has really gone up a lot. So maybe maybe that will be a direction for board games too. Speaking as someone who has uh, written on a couple uh, video games, it, it is definitely getting better, uh, but it's still a long way to go in, in the video, video game world. There is, there is good and there is the rest, and, and good is still a fairly small uh, portion of that in terms of telling really, really great stories. But as you said, it's getting better every single day. And maybe we'll hear too. I think uh, try and answer your question. I think question. like video games are doing it though. I mean, like, oh, yeah. people can point to plenty of like Last of Us and. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, 
you know, plenty of other RPGs that take you on long journeys. Like the writing in some of those is really excellent. But I board games is like it's it's such a hard task. Yeah. Like I remember we kind of tried to do that in Seafall, and it just ends up being oh, what they're really saying is is that you got these resources. Yes. You yes. Know. <laughs> um, so uh, so here are the here are the two that I think of that do a good job telling story. First is Detective. The, the game detective, I think, does an amazing job of it. Right. And it, as I said a couple of weeks ago, they do because of a very specific reason. It's based on a real case, right? They, they use real cases. And real cases have, you know, I mean, if you watch any true crime, there are great twists and really interesting discoveries and things like that. And if you're basing something on that, guess what? You've got a great plot already. And just, just build that out. You can do that. And, and they did. That's fantastic. Um, the other thing that I would say is, even though I have not officially played it yet, looking it over and reading through it, um, I think that um, the Legacy game... Oh, why am I blanking on the name now? Um, Pandemic? No, not Pandemic Legacy. Charterstone? No, not Charterstone. The um, the horror one. The uh, Oh, yeah, Betrayal House and the Legacy. Yeah. Yeah, Betrayal Legacy. Yeah. Betrayal Legacy, Betrayal I believe, has got some really great, really, really good story in it. So uh, I look forward to, to trying that out. But what I, everything I've read about it says that it, it really excels in that. So we'll have to see. But uh, yeah, Ryan Lockett is, is a very interesting designer. If you like your Euro games a little lighter and you want to put a little more story into it, I think this is also a really good game to play with families and uh, with people of different ages. Check it out, now or never. And last but not least, um, paradoxically, one of my favorite games of all time is Castles of Mad King Ludwig. <laughs> it is a game that I played with my kids all through uh, growing up. And, you know, a lot of games you play with kids, it is a it is a sacrifice and a compromise. Castles of Mad King Ludwig never feels like that. It is a genius design by Ted Alsbach. The idea is super simple. Each round, one person is the auctioneer. And he is drawing cards to put out uh, rooms that will go into a, a castle of various types, five, seven different choices. And he's putting them at different price points, right? So it's not bidding per se. It's rather saying, okay, this room is going to cost 1000 This one is going to cost three, five. This one's going to cost 10 This one's going to cost 15 so on and so forth, something along those lines. And then going around the table, people can pay him, pay, pay, pay them uh, to take one of those things and add it to their castle that they're building. Um, and then play returns, and now the next person is the auctioneer and so on and so forth. And the buildings, the, the rooms of these buildings have very different geometries. They are circles, they are squares, they are long hallways, they are, uh, they are L shapes and so on and so forth. Um, they have different they, they score different points based on the type of room they are. And you know some rooms like the uh, like the sleep rooms should not be near the activity rooms, right? Because it'll keep you up. So you score negative points if those rooms are next to it. So it creates this tile laying game in which the tiles are all different shapes and they're all different uh, and they have all different requirements. And at the end of a game, it, it has that tangibility thing that I talk about sometimes where I don't care if I won or lost. I love my castle. I love my uh -huh. castle. I love I, I would I would sleep in this room and we have long we have longer discussions than the game itself talking about the pros and cons of each of our castles that we have built during the game, which is what that what, is. 
that's that is to me the entire appeal of that game. The point like, winning is fun, but it's more fun to be cracking jokes for however long it takes about the fact that you put like uh, a bathroom like that. You have to go through the bathroom to get out of the foyer to get into the kitchen. You know, like all these weird things. There are staircases to nowhere. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and uh, guess what? The collector's edition is on Kickstarter right now. So uh, check it out. It has uh, all new artwork. It looks. It already looked gorgeous. Now it looks crazy gorgeous. Um, it's got organizational trays. It has all of the expansions, including a new expansion uh, called the Royal Decrees. Uh, Royal Decrees really simply is a deck of cards that you're going to be able to get. One, you're going to get a card at the start, and it gives you an asymmetrical goal. It is going to say, mm. for you and you alone, you don't score negative points for for these rooms, or you get twice as many points for this type of situation, or you're looking for this, right? And uh, uh, by doing that, by having a secret goal, um, it, it gives you some it gives you some interesting play options. I, I love the game. I think it's great. Um, the expansions to me were were fine. Some things were were better than others, but it's kind of one of those games that the the original edition of it is so good that I almost don't need much else. Uh, yeah. But for long term play, check out the collector's edition. I too am a fan of this game. And I saw this yep. Kickstarter news and went and checked it out. And I agree, it completely looks beautiful. But I also saw the price tag involved. How much? And then I immediately went and ordered the base game. <laughs> you know, I, by the way, for people, people should know that it is also available as an app. And it's actually a really good app. Um, and uh, I too really enjoy this game. And I actually backed the deluxe version of Suburbia, but I didn't back this one because. I wasn't as excited by the expansions and I mm-hmm. felt like with Suburbia, I felt like the deluxe, the deluxe quality of it was something I desperately needed because I always felt the original was so ugly and I, <laughs> and I, I love a city building game and I want my city building games to feel like I'm building a city and I felt like with the new art, that was going to take me where I needed it to be. And wow. plus also Suburbia has really good expansions and there was like a lot of fun stuff in that. So I backed that, and of course I haven't played it. <laughs> it just, you know, <laughs> pandemic came, so sure, I have an sure. enormous box. So that's also part of it, which is like, am I going to get another, you know, like U-Haul truck size box, and then have just like not not play it? So well, I'm on the fence. I'm on the fence. Maybe but you're kind of is, pushing me, pushing the needle for me. I have to say. I mean, maybe this is going to suffer because the original game does look good. So do you need a deluxified game when the original game looks really good? I mean. Oh, this expansion! Look, this uh, this this collector's edition is gorgeous. I would say this. I would say that if you like this game already, uh, I would seriously consider that because it, it'll give the game some longevity. You'll be able to play it uh, uh, more and more and more, and there's more to it. If you've never played the game before, the base game is so good. It's really a classic uh, of of yeah. design. You know, you you might want to check out the price points and the differential between the two, and and make up your mind that way. I just I, I would actually just like to have a regular Castles of Mad King Ludwig with this art, which I think this art may have been. There's a Polish version of the game mm-hmm. that has this fancy art. I think because. Huh. Um, I'd like the art in the original. I don't think it's actually that gorgeous, but it's it works. Um, and I don't know if I necessarily need the trays or whatever, but I feel like the longer I look at this page, the more, the closer I am to backing <laughs> it. So I have to. Right. 
I, have to be I like the royal this. decree idea. I like the idea of having a rule-breaking uh, uh, power that allows you to value buildings differently than other people do. I think that's really interesting because a lot mm-hmm. of the a lot of the strategy of the game uh, is is figuring out what is the undervalued asset that's that I can purchase, and when it's your turn, how do I value these things to get ma- to get the maximum money out of it? That's really what the game is, and it's it's a very clever uh, design. So if you have another element in that in that uh, calculation, uh, an asymmetrical element in terms of what people value, that makes that, those decisions all the more crunchy. So there you go. Uh, let's move on to games on the brain. Is that Aaron Neville? I feel like that was Aaron Neville. <laughs> I think you pushed the wrong button. Did I press the wrong button? <laughs> yeah, Aaron Neville. <laughs> uh, Trey, what's on your brain these days? Uh, what's on my brain is Rage Against the Machine. Um, Woo! No, not the band. Uh, this is a reacting to the past game, which is a kind of historical simulations done at the university level. And I'm working with a couple of designers who want to take their game about uh, industrialization in Manchester in the 19th century and uh, kind of like build an economy for this game from the point of view of the participants. So rather than like when we're playing brass and we are captains of industry and we are building our networks and building our factories, uh, the players in Rage Against the Machine are often spinsters or weavers or craftsmen. Mm. And they're having to deal with the changing economics of industrialization and what they're going to do in the, in the game. So this is, this is what's on my brain is kind of huh. building you know, something like what we've done before for our LARPs at Gen Con, where you kind of like you build a little economy into the the game. And this uh, I am drawing upon board games for it to be somewhat of like a Martin Wallace style punch you in the face of economic reality uh, experience for <laughs> university teaching history to university students. <laughs> So that's what's on my brain. Well, uh, it's it's a good thing to do, right? It, it's it's a way to bring uh, you you want to. You want to make the game play. The better you make the game play, the more immersive it's going to be and the better a teaching tool it can be, right? And it's not in the skill set of the people that are designing the game because they're all about the agenda of the game and the purpose of the game, right? Well, they're right. I mean, hopefully I can bring some things to bear from board games and LARPs that they're not bringing to bear where they're academics teaching history and right. – primary sources you know historical documents sure this is this is where they're coming from and that's great like that that means that uh and not not that they're they they like gaming too but um they also you know it's interesting people's different perspectives like there is a generation of people that were kind of raised on D &D, and they want to like start rolling dice about whether things work or not and i think when it comes to larps if we, we start rolling dice about whether things work like that's just a different type of game i have thoughts i have feelings but this is what i've been doing and it's cool uh it's a fun design space especially because you you get into the question of like what is the experience for a player going to be in this game and if you're a weaver or spinster in manchester in the early half of the 19th century like that could be a very unpleasant feeling like games don't always aren't always about 
power fantasy and having fun. Yeah. Like they can, they can be about different things. And that's a little bit like, what do you, what do you owe your, what do you owe a participant in a game in terms of the experience you deliver to them? And this may even go back to our conversation about D and D is like, are we on the same page of what we're getting into here? Yeah. And you do need to like set a certain tone and expectations for, uh, for people. Oh, com- I, yeah. coming in. I, I don't think it's any different for an, an educational simulation. I think there's still a, a narrative contract that needs to be agreed upon to some degree. I think that's true. Yeah, I was literally talking to my daughter about this this very morning. We were uh, walking the beach. She, she walks to the beach with me on Saturday mornings. And, you know, the sun is beating down on her. And she's, you know, a very pale Irish girl and was like, oh, you know what? I really, really can't tan. Why did it used to be that people, you know, always never wanted to be tan and now everybody wants to be tan? And I said, it's the Industrial Revolution. Prior to the Industrial Revolution, you were rich if you stayed indoors. And if you were, if you had the dark, you know, the dark tanned skin, it meant that you were an agricultural worker and you were out in the fields and doing all that sort of stuff. And then the Industrial Revolution comes around and suddenly the, the, the poor people are all locked away in the mills and never seeing the light of day, and suddenly leisure time and being out in the out of doors, like almost overnight, the, uh, the, the, the perception of what, hmm. what tanned skin meant changed radically, which was interesting. It was, uh, it was a revolution in every sense of the word, which is really kind of cool. Uh, hmm. Ben, what's on your mind? Um, well, Carnegie, which we're about to dive into, um, Carpe Diem, second edition. I was sort of taking a gander at that this morning, uh, reminding myself. I, I played it once, and I was like, I really liked this game. And uh, the fact that it's now out with uh, nicer art makes it all the sweeter. I never was an art person, but I'm discovering that I'm talking about art more and more. Um, uh, also, um, another one that's on my brain, uh, Cloud Age. I'd like to know more about what Cloud Age is all about. Um Slightly on my brain, I saw, uh, related to that, I saw um, Alexander Pfister on a a comment said that he wants to do a retheme of Mombasa, which you may have discussed that already, but... Right, he did um, not know, yeah. Yeah, but that's that's exciting to me. And then, um, you know, another one that's really on my my brain, which really should have been in the game night thing, but I'm just going to cheat and put it here, is Maria. I I, I feel (laughs) like I'm talking about Maria a lot. But I forgot to break my big news, which is that my multi-week Maria, I won it. I'm so excited. I won it. I did not think I was going to win it. (laughs) And I hate to be like on the podcast being all braggy about like, oh, I won. It's the worst when somebody does that, isn't it? When somebody brags about winning a certain (laughs) game against uh, your fellow co-hosts. Like that's the worst. Oh, the worst. Just Uh, dunking on your fellow co-hosts. Oh, so so Paul really, really just – Paul came in third in a three-player game. That's interesting. Huh. <laughs> no, it was uh, – the reason why I'm really mentioning that, not to be like, look how good I am, it was just the fact sure, yeah. that um, – I didn't expect that to happen, but man, God, did I love the emotional roller coaster of that game. I, I was – you know, it was finally uh, finally finishing the game. It was It was great. I cannot wait to play it again. It was, I think it was magnificent. I'm not just saying that because I won. I've been enjoying all these plays because <laughs> anyone who's been listening to the podcast knows that we've had a few like aborted sessions. Yeah. But um, uh, I, I am, I'm really excited to dive more into that game. It is so, so fascinating. I have and, a feeling um, it's going to be a review. Uh, you yeah. need to play Friedrich as well because it's yeah. 
there are certain things about Friedrich that I like better than Maria. There are certain things I like better about Maria, uh, but it is mm-hmm. definitely it, it, it's definitely not that uh, Maria came out second and and by the same designer and supplanted Friedrich forever. Not quite the case. Uh, I, w- I would love to see what you think of uh, of Friedrich. So we got to get that to the table, Tom, sometime soon. Well, I may circle back to Maria later in this episode. So All right. we'll very well discuss then. more. Uh, for me, oh really? Oh, okay. Uh, See where you're going with that. See where you're going. Uh, here we go. Um, <laughs> oh. Terraforming Mars is is what's on my mind. In particular, uh, on my brain, are the uh, expansions for it. I was thinking about the expansions of Terraforming Mars. Um, I love that the app only has one expansion, and it's the best expansion, one of the better expansions ever. Prelude. Um, Prelude gives you a variable starting position in the game that is that is pretty balanced, pretty interesting, and uh, it kind of shortens the game, but in a, in an interesting way. It starts you off with certain advantages and disadvantages, and how can you leverage those advantages and disadvantages? It's absolutely fantastic. Um, looking at the other expansions, though, really mixed bag for me. Like uh, Venus Next, I don't l- love Venus Next, and I don't love it because it introduces floaters. It introduces these new elements and new things. And the problem is, is that when you shuffle those cards into the deck, it becomes very, very random as to whether or not that's going to work. Right? It's not quite the the deck is big enough that there's a decent chance that those cards just aren't going to come your way. So playing Venus Next Corporations and, and playing that strategy just just feels a lot more hit and miss than than the base game. And, and I don't think you want hit and miss in this game. There's enough of that already. Um, I, I think that... Uh, I think the, the new maps, Hellas and Elysium, fantastic. I think Prelude is fantastic. I don't like Colonies at all, I have to say. I, I think that it adds a side game that is uh, that that distracts from the advantages of the main game, and the side game isn't tremendously interesting in and of itself. I, I just didn't like it. But really, what's on my brain is Turmoil. Now, I've only played Turmoil twice, and I really quite liked it. it but even though, much like Colonies, it adds a sideboard and a whole nother little mini-game into the game. But this one is... The politics of the uh, of the map, the politics of terraforming Mars, and spending a little bit of time and actions and, and and resources to grease the wheels so that the actions that you really want to take are going to go better and go easier and have more of an effect in the game. And mm-hmm. I really, having played. Online these times, I'm dying to play a lot more of Terraforming Mars, but it does make me want to. It does sort of remind me and, and ping my brain and say, "You have to when when we get back to playing games in real life together, you have to bring out Turmoil again and play it a few more times and see if that is it the best game. Is the best game of Terraforming Mars Prelude and Turmoil, or is it just Prelude? So I don't know. That's on. That's what's on my brain. Yeah. I thought Turmoil was. I played it once uh, with you, and um, uh, I liked it, but uh, I, I, I had, 
I struggled wrapping my brain around it a little bit. Yeah. So I would actually like it in the app. So that way I could play around with it and become more comfortable. And also there were some rules in turmoil where I was like, is that how it works? Is that how it works? And I kind of feel like the app would help me sort of sort sort out, okay, this is how things work with turmoil. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, also I really would have, to- I meant, I meant to do this earlier. I think also we should give Trey a huge amount of props because in the last game we played of Terraforming Mars, he got his income up so high. I have never in all my plays of Terraforming Mars ever seen income so high. So I I just have to bow down to that. It was crazy. It was crazy. Yeah. One thing I'm appreciating about Terraforming Mars uh, now that I have the app and like I've probably played AI games on the app now at least I've got at least 30 games in I'm ready to play like another hundred uh especially with people like so I understand what you're saying Tom with like prelude's pretty good I'm not sure you need these others I'm eager to try sure the others but terraforming Mars is a radically different game at different player counts yeah. and I know that's true of some other games too but uh like you're never gonna see income like that Ben in even a four player game like that had to happen in a three player game or two player game. Um, and just the, the different player counts on this mean, you know, two and three player games, these are more like marathons. Five player game is a sprint, you know, yeah. they're v- very different dynamics in how the games play out based upon player count. And that's interesting uh, how robust it feels. Because there's certain games also where like it, this game really only works at four. Yes. And that's not true of Terraforming Mars at all. I feel like it's it's worked at every player count I've played at and very different, interestingly different at different player counts. Yeah, if you try and do the strategy you do in a four-player game in a three-player game, you're 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 dead in the water. It's just it, it literally the same strategies will not work because the the pace of the game is different, the availability of of resources, what's going to happen to the map is very different. So, yeah, I totally agree. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, let's move on to our review of the day. Here we go. Carnegie is a 2021 release. The de- designer is Xavier Georges, who is the designer of Trois and many other games. The artist is our favorite, Ian O'Toole, and it is published by Quine Games and Tesla Games, depending upon which part of the world you are in. Trey, will you uh, give us the tale of the tape? Tell us, tell us the story of Carnegie. What are we doing in this game? So in Carnegie, you are, I think it puts you in the position of being a captain of industry, right? And we are kind of developing uh, our network of various industries and companies across a map of the U.S. So this this is not a worker placement game. It is kind of like an action selection game. Um... But yeah, that's what you are. You're a captain of industry, and I guess that's the name that it comes from is Carnegie. Nobody's playing as Carnegie in this game, but you're kind of playing a Carnegie-like figure. And so part of the game is you're you're expanding your network, you're building up your your company, and then ultimately you're making donations, which I guess is trying to get towards the philanthropy of Carnegie once he had, you know, so much money that like the ultimately the way you score in this game is giving away your money and converting them into victory points later on. But but something we're kind of familiar with of different you are a captain of industry type of role in game similar to to brass. Yeah. I think that's true. Um and yet it has that Xavier Georges uh quality of workers 
are in the game and they're used in some very very interesting ways right there's a there's a spatial component to how workers are used and that doesn't even involve workers on the on the main game board right that's right so i feel like there's there's two interesting particularly interesting things that this game is doing that i i don't feel exactly like i've seen before first is the action selection which is that there's only there's gonna be 20 rounds in the game there's really only four different actions that people can choose. You're choosing either construction, human resources, research and development, or management. And you're going to do this first, and then everyone else is going to follow. So that's not particularly new. Like, we've played games, especially like Glory to Rome or, sure. um, you know, Race for the Galaxy, Puerto Rico, something where you're like, this is the thing we're doing. Uh, the person who initiated is going to have some advantage. It's probably just based on turn order. And then everyone else is going to, to follow. So that's kind of interesting is that you you get into a, a moment where you're trying to figure out, well, Tom's going to have to do this, so I'm going to do this now. And you're trying to predict out what other people are going to do because there's a certain flow of what actions are going to be taken. Yeah. So that's one aspect of the game that kind of makes it – I feel like I haven't really played that that game before. Yeah. The other is that you have this layout of your kind of like corporate HQ which in which you have a number of departments within a within your HQ building and you allocate your workers within these departments to determine like how you differ from other players in terms of like how this is both it's not exactly an org chart but your 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 finite number of workers are going to your departments and like that's what you're good at as a corporation and even like the physical proximity of departments from like the front door of the headquarters matter because like the further away it is from the front door, the more points you have to spend in human resources to move your workers around when they return from the field. Yeah. So this, this felt very interesting in terms of like, Oh, I can build new departments in my corporation or in my company. That's going to give me additional utility. Sometimes it's just like making you better at certain things. Other times it's giving you powers that other people don't have and like and that was potentially very interesting in that like we all start from a position of relative sameness and then our our game is going to start to vary as we build different companies both in terms of like what our presence is on the board but also like how we've organized our game in terms of like how our company's structured exactly. i think there's a lot of uh actually some dna from uh, from uh, Black Angel and Schwa in this game that I don't think is immediately apparent, but especially with Black Angel, I think this game actually does what Black Angel should have done, which is uh, it has a flow of sending meeples between two different boards and understanding timing and having a spatial element. You know, in this game, we have our office building and we're sending meeples from the office building out to this map of the USA. And then at, at certain, certain times, we're getting those meeples back. We're putting those meeples in departments. And that's sort of, those are uh, very similar concepts in Black Angel, where you have these robots that are inactive. You've got to activate them. You've got to move them into departments. You've got to move them from there to a board. And then you have to move them around on that board. You put down cards, sort of departments. So it's kind of like it kind of remixes Black Angel in that way. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think in a much, in a, in a way that feels more interesting and, and innovative than what Black Angel did. So the game takes place over 20 rounds and on each round, one player is going to select an action to take. When they select an action, the actions are going to be either um, 
human resources, in which case you are going to be moving your meeples around your own personal office, from office to office, from the lobby when they come back to you into the offices, and then you're going to, in many cases, have to pay to take them from laying down to standing up. In other words, from in reserve or resting to active and ready to participate. Some offices only have one one uh, desk in it. Some will have three desks, uh, and depending on those, that's how many times you're going to be able to take that action when that action is is called upon. So human resources is going to activate all of the human resources offices. Uh, there's also management. Management often deals with putting more offices into your into your building, and that's where that differentiation we were talking about comes into play. Um, then there's construction. Is another action. When construction happens, you're going to be building things out on the map, and essentially what that is is you're going to be taking your disks and you're going to be placing them out on the map to connect to build industry in the various cities on a map of the United States in the hopes of connecting some of the major cities and also scoring points because some of the bigger cities score a decent number of points just for building in that city. And then last but not least, research and design. Research and design is going to be used to increase your rate of, uh, of uh, connection between different, different cities. Uh, that is not represented by putting things out on the map, but it is represented in terms of how many points you get for connecting various cities at the end of the game. Uh, and also, you can use that to expand your, the four types of industry that you're going to be putting out on the, on the board, or five types of industry. Four, I think four, four types of industry four, you're, uh, four be, you're putting out on the board. Uh, the one other complication is that when you choose one of those actions, you're not just choosing that action, but that action is actually exists on a grid, and you're going to move one space to the right on that grid, and there's a variable setup in the game where each game, it's going to be a totally different uh, map of things you're going to activate. So when you activate human resources, you're not just activating human resources, you're also activating the south or the west, or you're activating a uh, donation round, right, an, inv- an investment round, and, and, and so on and so forth. And each of those things have an impact on the game because a lot of the game is going to be about figuring out ways to chain your actions so that you're always collecting income. And income is not something that at all is guaranteed in the game, which is really fascinating, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, the uh, the, the the income, the way the income works in this game is is a huge, huge aspect of it um, because you your income is only going to fire off when a region is activated. So you need to, if you want that income, you need to make sure you have all your 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 guys in that region. So that way, you can when it gets activated, you can pull them back and get that income. But that may be at cross purposes of what you really want to do. You may you may need to get a meeple in the west, but you want to build in the east. And if you build in the east, that means you're putting a meeple in the east. Uh, that's kind of that the whole game. Is, not going to be triggered for another hour, right? <laughs> yeah, the whole game is kind of like a, a a mind. I don't know what the PG the PG version of the <laughs> right, right. A mind. There's great potential for analysis paralysis in this yes. game because there's a lot a lot to take in because you're both like it's both a complicated situation and in order to kind of like play well, you have to anticipate what others are going to do before they do it, right? Yes. yes. You know, there is a little bit of an IO moment of, well, they're going to do this, so I need to do that. And 
where this game kind of like is at its most interesting is when it stops like there's a certain flow to this game that you've played it you kind of understand of like switching from one action type to another is kind of necessary like once you've allocated a lot of your people you need to do human resources in order to get them back into the office and at their desks so that they can do the things your company needs to do but sometimes you know you you want to take a move that's not necessarily great for you but it's just like so much worse for everyone else and so you benefited because it's less bad for you like yeah. that's i think the most interesting part of this space is it's like trying to determine what how you know do these moves benefit me more than other people when i do them there's a certain flow can i disrupt it and so i think there's an interesting thing in this game because this has a this game can be very mean uh, yes. Both in terms of like blocking uh, positions on the map, because there's a lot of points to be gained in creating networks across the country, but also like taking actions that other people aren't prepared for um, in in any ways. My point was, um, oh, damn it, this game can be mean. That's there's some richness in that. Someone else help me out here. I don't come back to the. Well, point OK, I, no, I no I. I the game can can definitely be mean, but it's like it's not necessarily take that right. Like no, it's more cutthroat than it is well, mean. In my view, blocking. I mean let's let's there's suppose blocking. for just a second, there's block. But there's, take that to me means that you're actually just like kicking over something that someone built. Well, let's just, um, let's, which just, I, let's do an example. Let's say the the city that has the largest number of industry spaces, I believe, is San Francisco. I think it's got five or six different spaces to build. It's got on. five. And let's suppose somebody were building a train, <laughs> hypothetically, a, so building a connection of industries all the way from the east coast all the way out going to san francisco they were one space away from san francisco and none of the five spaces are built on in san francisco that person would think hey this is great i'll be able to build yeah. there so i do think it is sort of stab your neighbor in the back poke their eye out if for instance one person going immediately before you builds all five spots in one single action in san francisco wouldn't you ben wouldn't you think that's <laughs> So, meaning to, to clarify, <laughs> if if a very um, a very savvy player decided to <laughs> spam five buildings into all five slots into San Francisco in one turn in an epic, dramatic, memory-causing moment, uh, that's I I you know what though I actually still don't think that that's um, I think that's more cutthroat than mean, which I know is maybe splitting hairs. Uh, oh, someone no, being no, cutthroat it was... may feel mean, but um, in my mind, like being mean is just like those games where it's just like I'm just going to just, just take something from you just because I can. Sure. And this was what me doing that actually had a strategic impact for me. Like that was sure. actually important for me. Sure. It was important for me to to get all those points there. My strategy was built on on doing this and trying to mitigate. The ability for you guys to create these chains. Yeah. Um, it's okay, man. But, Sociopaths but still, never think but, they're mean. But I have to respect that <laughs> even though it didn't come from a place of cruelty, that it <laughs> felt very cruel for you guys. <laughs> and and then some. So, yeah. Uh, let's, let's, then, wait, I just have to say it. Then Trey uh -huh. afterwards goes, well, we have to admit this is an asterisk game. And we're like, why? And you're like, well, because you know, Ben did that move in San Francisco. I'm like, that was the – that is, That's not not what I said. that is not what I said. I said this is I an asterisk move because I think you're the superior player in this game, Ben, and you are exploring the space. Oh, okay. Because like I ended up winning that game, but I felt like you were just 
screwing around messing about like you 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 no, were trying you were not playing optimally yeah. you were like you want to say like well i want to try something different here and i think that's one of the things that we're hesitant in this review like this is this can be a long game like uh the, the first time i played this game with explanation yeah. we got close to seven hours and some of that was <laughs> so, we were playing with like but, this game but let's can not be give long. Let, let's We've not give that as down. the impression let's let's say the impression the impression is wrong because really three hours is probably about right for this game which is still long right we spent seven hours Okay, that happened. I, I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm just saying that 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 if we tell people that and we don't explain what we think the the real usual length of this game is going to be, people might come away with the wrong idea. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, and my point okay. was just that that listen, we uh, we want to like. There's clearly plenty left to explore in this game. We've played this game a certain number of times. We're not experts on it. Uh, I'm I'm kind of. Yeah, somewhat eager to try some new strategies. I have my doubts about how many there actually are, but I'm actually was like praising Ben yeah. because he was zagging. Yeah, and he was exploring different spaces, and that was the asterisk. Not because you were mean, Ben, but sure. rather like you, I don't think you were maximizing your points. I think you were like I'm exploring the space, and Paul does this sometimes too, sure. where you know the the goal may not be winning; it may be like let's play this game differently and see if we learn some things that we you know don't know about it yet. See, I yeah. think I mean I was trying to win, by the way. In, in my, <laughs> I, I, I know what you're saying. Thank you for clarifying that. I um I I was trying to actually win because in my mind, I you know my thing. I have this weird trigger where when someone says this is the way the game is, this is mm. the meta. You have sure. to do this. If you don't do this, you're never going to win. I have this weird thing sure. where I, I kind of want to push back on that. Sure. So in my mind, I was saying, you know, we have this mindset. That like if you don't connect these cities, you're gonna lose, right? Mm. And I kind of want to say, what happens if I if I just go to <laughs> these high no value one connects cities? To these cities? Yeah. Well, no, that was important and because you lose. It, it occurred to me that so one thing that we haven't said is that we have there are three different tiers of cities, um, small, medium, and large. And the large ones, uh, every quote unquote, it's called a project that you built build in a large city is worth three points. And it occurred to me that if I just Rather than focus on making these connections, if I just um, build in these these big cities, I, if I get all 12 of my discs out, that's 36 points right there. And uh, if you maximize your links, that's 36 points. So in my mind, I was thinking if I – rather than deal with the stress of having to get into San Francisco and connecting and all that <laughs> and worrying about being blocked, if I just focus on the big cities, I could get a big chunk of points – but I was also cognizant that if you guys did links, you guys would get the link points and pick up other points from the city. So I was like, if I'm going to do this strategy, I have to do it in a way that I'm also disrupting other people's links. That's mm. the way that this is going to work. Otherwise, I'm going to get 36 points, and then maybe you guys get um, 18 to 27 points off of your links, but then you also are going to get some points from the big cities. So that was actually my entire mindset of that, mm. uh, and that's why I took that really aggressive move. See, I think you listened to last week's episode when Paul and Matt cataloged the various times I lost my damn mind in a game, and you were like, I've never seen Tom lose his mind. I think I'm going to go for it here. <laughs> you have the most docile losing your mind. You were like, okay. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't lose my mind. <laughs> I mean, uh, contrary to the <laughs> to the perceptions from last week, I don't. Uh, I don't usually do that. Not that I haven't, but. 
Not well, let's usually. get back to the 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 longness question because I think this is important. I think a lot of different players are going to have different perspectives on this. Um, I do think you can get the player time down on this. Uh, a criticism for me is not that this game is necessarily long. To me, in every game I've played, this game has felt like it's overstayed its welcome. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes the map feels like the map game has been resolved by turn thirteen out of 20. So like most of the games we play that I feel like are really good often feel like, Oh, I would have loved to play just one more turn. Like it ends just slightly before you kind of want it to yep. before your engine peaks. And like, this one feels like we play like often, like this game's been resolved and we still have like four more rounds to play. That's, yep. that's something to happen. And I, on the, on, so I feel like this game could be a lot tighter in terms of what it wants to do. I almost feel like this game could use like a prelude expansion, Yep. I feel like there's probably expansions in the work anyway in terms of like more departments. But I would like the same way that Prelude kind of like jump starts terraforming Mars and gets the engines goosed quicker so you can kind of really get into the game quicker. I almost feel like uh, Carnegie needs something to get us into it uh, a little bit quicker because I've just found every game we've played has been too long for what this is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Trey, me. Trey and I, yeah, so spoiler alert, Trey and I do have some mixed feelings about uh, about this game. Uh and let's 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 get into that and then uh, uh, Ben who has a who has a, I think I would think it's safe to say a more positive view of the game can uh, uh yep. can offer a spirited defense. First of all, <laughs> I will. Uh, uh, this is my <laughs> this is my least favorite Eno tool uh artwork. I don't think that this is a very pretty game. I don't uh, it doesn't. The art really doesn't do anything for me. I, it's it's kind of I don't know. Is there I kind like of a deco art. look to this? Oh, but but not right. I mean, yeah, it's sort of deco. I I I actually like the art. I I love our our office building uh, player mat. I, yeah. I I really enjoy that quite a bit, to be honest. To me, it looks pretty bland and, and generic, which I, I love. You know, tool. So so that's that's saying something. Uh, second thing, I think there's some. Uh, I think that if we're talking about an expansion to this game that has uh, new departments, I think they need a a Hellas expansion for this game where they offer a either a variable map or a new map because um, I I don't think this map uh, is great. I think this map is kind of problematic. I think there are 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 better and worse areas and better and worse places. Um, and it, it just, it doesn't feel, yeah, it, it doesn't, it's it doesn't also feel feeling like a little same Z on expand? Yes. Too, right? Can you expand on that? Like what are the, what do you feel like are the good places and what do you feel are the bad places? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, let's see places like, uh, Pittsburgh, um, places like, uh, a, let me look at the map here. So I have it right in front of me. Well, like the issue is always like connecting to the West, right? Yeah. Like this is kind of like the big. Denver, Kansas City, and Pittsburgh are are second level, mid level cities. Pittsburgh makes it a one jump to connect New York and Chicago. Kansas mm-hmm. City and Denver uh, make San Francisco and Houston connections and and, uh, and or New Orleans connections way easier than than any other variant. Literally to the point of reducing the number of discs you got to put down and the number of of construction actions you have to take uh, by. Three or three or four, uh, and since there are only three spots available uh, in a you know in in certain games and certain player counts, those spots could that those cities could be closed by the time the third person or fourth person to play uh, gets their gets their turn, which is kind of uh, 
kind of a problem. Well, there's a turn issue. We we think there may be a player order, player turn order issue in this game that we've experienced, right, Tom? Yes. Well, that was yes. your feeling. Yeah, I, I I do. I feel that way, and I th- I think yeah. I, th- I think you felt it too. Um, yeah. I, it, there is there are penalties for going later in the turn order that I don't feel have been properly addressed, especially on by, turn one, right? By the game, oh. turn one where it really matters. Yes, and and to that point, I we don't we don't believe yeah, this. Or listen, we have to say we have not played this game enough times to say this with authority we are relying on our on on our experiences on our observations and our intuition having played a lot of games that are not that dissimilar from this and and feeling like we can see where this is going uh we feel that the departments are not uh, are not tremendously equal either and that a player later in the turn order can also get shut out of the best departments which are going to offer because they're the best finite, right yes because they, they are disappear. quite finite yeah and uh, a person can be can through no fault of their own be shut out of some of the departments that are going to offer the better action spaces and and decisions to be made later in the game so there's that too uh, yeah i mean i think that um uh you know the department issue is really uh it's that's inspiring a lot of commentary online and i i think i think that's fair um you know, I've I've won where you know I've used the you know what's considered to be the the weaker departments, or, or or people have had the stronger departments. So I don't think it's necessarily you know locked locked in sure. that if you if you don't get this department or that department, you're going to lose. Um, for me, uh, you know, I am encouraged by the fact that the Kickstarter is bringing in many more uh, departments and also many more donation spots, mm-hmm. uh, which could in- increase the variability on that front. Um, uh, but at the same time, I, I, what I, I, where I think the issue for me with the departments is that when you find a combo that you really like, you're kind of always going to be drawn to that combo. There's nothing telling you not to go for that combo. And so for me, my, my biggest issue with the game, actually, before I talk about all the things that I love about it, cause I do love it, um, is I, um, I have an issue with the way we start out the gates with this game. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not necessarily feeling like I need a prelude out of this, get mm-hmm. a prelude type expansion. But what happens is that every game, there's nothing inspiring me to place my initial disc during setup in a different city, because we all have to do that. There's nothing that's inspiring me to change the where I put my meeples and my initial layout of my office. Yep. Um, there's nothing really pushing me that strongly to go for different departments if I have first dibs on them. Um, uh, so that is like, that is yeah. part of that. Well, the variable setups, not that variable. It's a pretty it's, limited space. Yes. And the, the thing the is game gets set up differently. Absolutely. And the game, the game will develop in a different way because we have this timeline system. And so different regions are going to activate at different times and different frequencies over the course of the game, which will impact how you build, et cetera, et cetera. But in terms of like actually just getting the ball rolling, it kind of feels uh samey at the very beginning yeah. and um and then as a result because it feels a little samey at the beginning sometimes the idea of sitting down and being like you want to play some carnegie you think to yourself uh here we go again and um and the truth is that i, I actually really love this game and i my solution my suggestion is that they come out with like a micro expansion or just incorporate this in the final game because but this game isn't even out yet um where maybe everyone gets a card 
that says if you're, if, you know, maybe if you're the first one to have this configuration of your office, you need to have an office in this space, an office in that space, and you have to have th these types of offices, and maybe you have to have um, built in these three cities, something like that, where you're now being pushed in a little bit of a direction just to mix it up. Uh, I think would actually be really beneficial. It might be. It might be. I mean, I would also say that if there was simply without needing anything extra, what if the beginning of the game, the last player to go gets to choose one department and to place one disc on the map somewhere? Thereby, mm -hmm. thereby creating a situation in which there is sort of a reverse first placement. Uh, that might address some of those some of those issues as well, but yeah, the map may have. Uh, I feel like it probably has a little bit of a Terra Mystica issue in that mm -hmm. there in that in, in the original Terra Mystica, um, the map was better for certain colors than for other colors. There were some colors that just did not have a, a, a great map. Uh, now this obviously doesn't have the color issue, but it may be a map that, that first of all, the map could be really mean. It, this game sort of seems to lead toward maybe ideal play could very well be blocking people that, that the, that the smartest action yep. to take in a lot of cases could be making sure you don't connect this city and this city, despite having spent four or five discs in that process. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, that kind of game, and yeah. like, I, I think that that's fine. I think, like, know what, again, like, know what game you're playing, and this is one of those games. I tend to find that kind of blocking and stuff more acceptable in the shorter the game is, right? Yeah. Because, like, you, you, this definitely is one of those games where, like, you can get blocked, or you can even just screw up. Like, it's real easy just to mess, get out of sync in this, and feel like, okay, I'm out, but I've got two more hours of of this game so like i just find all that stuff to be more acceptable in the shorter experience and this is not a short gaming experience it's not twilight imperium yeah but it's it's not a short one i'll also say you know, that it's it's, that it's age funny of with steam. the map with oh sorry i'm sorry uh, no i beg my part uh age of steam has blocking in it but it almost always is uh, i'm blocking you but i'm not blocking you to block you i'm blocking you literally because my railroad needs to go to, in, through through that space. I'm dying to do that. Whereas in this game, you can build anywhere at any time. So so a lot of times the blocking in this game is going to feel different. It's going to feel less like you have to do this and more like, well, the, the smartest play I can do is to just really spitefully hurt you right here. Right. Yeah, which I guess does go back to my San Francisco move, right? I mean, because... In my mind, it was strategic. I wasn't doing it just to get you mad. It was to be strategic. But it was ultimately my strategy was I had to stop you, right? Sure, um, yeah. I, you know, it's so funny because with this map, I actually have not been frustrated by it. And I've somehow over the past year, I, I'm going to blame it on the on pandemic anxiety. I have become <laughs> someone who like gets like, oh, you blocked me. I, I've suddenly become that person. Um, <laughs> and uh, I have not had that issue with this game. Clearly. And I think it's because... Um, I think I, I, I have made peace with the idea that if I'm going to go try to connect into San Francisco, if things go wrong, that's on me because that is a gamble. That entire section of the board right. is designed to be the ultimate gamble. Cause if, if, if you do it, then guess what? You're going to get a lot of points. And if you mess up, then you've messed up. And I actually like that. And I, I have found that when I just focus on sort of the other three cities, and then if I say, okay, there might be an opening for me. I have a much healthier experience with the board. Mm -hmm. um, 
I also think that what's interesting about this game, and this is one of the things I was thinking about last night in bed when I was thinking about this game and what we're going to be talking about, is that um, when we talk about how uh, there's a chance to build, like, like when you have no one in your in your building departments and then someone does the construction action and it feels like, oh, I missed a ch- one of my chances to build, It's there's actually a little bit of, I don't know what the right word is, a fallacy or whatever, because... Yes, it's a chance to build now, but if I have one person in my construction office now, I build one building. If I load up three people in there and do it on a later turn, I may have missed the first opportunity, but I actually do much more later on. Mm-hmm. So you miss a turn, but you it doesn't mean that you're necessarily like that was one of the four buildings you get to place. Yeah. Um so, it, so you know, when I think about this board too, when I think about these areas where you could be blocked, you know, I think that there's also value in kind of uh, loading up your your constructions. That way, you can put out three buildings right away and lock down an entire route before. Because if you put down maybe just one building, you're saying to people, "Oh, I want to go into there," and then people will come in and lock you're you out. About projects here, right? Sure. Projects. I'm sorry, yeah. a projects. Project. Yeah. Yeah. So, but of course, but of course, you built five in a turn, and in order to do that, you four. would need to have a construction department that I did not have an ability to buy. Interestingly, mm-hmm. interestingly yeah. enough. So look, uh, look. I think that my my ending pitch for this game is that. I think this is a kind of fascinating game. I think it is very complex. It has a lot of really great moving parts. I think yeah. it is very well de- well designed and really kind of interesting. But at the end of the day, I have not had that much fun playing it. I have been I've been frustrated by some of the I've been frustrated by the by the board, by the choice of departments, by the length of the game, because I agree with Trey. I, I felt that this game sort of sputtered to a conclusion as opposed to rose to a conclusion. Um, you know, and at, at the end of the day, I'm not uh, I'm not tremendously eager to play it again. Now that said, I think that any any hard heavy gamer I think needs to play this game. I think you need right. to try it out. That's what I think. Yeah, if you're a listener to this podcast, you probably should play this game. And so I'm like, this is a this is a mid level recommendation for me. And if so, if the top level recommendation is back the Kickstarter, this is like one below, which is like play your friend's copy a couple yeah. and then you know a couple times decide if it's for you. For some people, it will be. For a lot of people, it it won't. And you'll you'll know at that point. And for a lot of people, playing this game a couple of times is going to be all you ever need to play it. Yeah. Um, and the good news is it's on Board Game Arena, which has a really good implementation. True. Um, now, I uh, that being said, I I actually fully fully respect what you guys are saying. I think this game is amazing. I think that this game will pro will definitely land in my top ten of this year. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it landed in top five. Um, I do have issues with how it kind of feels samey, and I, I've been thinking about Brass, and why is it that Brass has always the same beginning, but it doesn't feel samey, or Hansa Teutonica, but this one sort of does have that. I'm still kind of grappling with that, mm-hmm. but if we put that to the side, and we've talked a lot about the map, we've actually talked almost exclusively about the map in this game, and there's actually 
so much. Yeah, the more. map's the least there's, interesting thing about the game. True. Right. There's 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 so much more, and I think the fact that that even talking about this, like, oh well, if you want to do a San Francisco move, you have to like hold back and then pounce, right? Or maybe like maybe something that Tom could have done before was maybe build in San Francisco to lock that down, but he probably didn't do it because it didn't make sense with the income, right? Or this or that. Or that. we're talking about all these different things that you could be doing. And one thing that I love about this game is there are actually so many approaches to how you use your your meeples and and how you are getting your stuff onto that map. And we haven't even touched upon how you're going to be using R&D, the research thing, because R&D is what's going to open up different types of projects for you. Um, The different types of projects you have are going to give you access to different cities. Um, That's also going to unlock different income. And uh, we also and, didn't mention charity. Charity donation so, donation donation. This is another area where where variability would be good because there's a tendency to, for me to kind of go to the same donations, but the but yeah. the donations some are better than others. Yeah, some are better. Like the train one is really good. Um, that one means that you get your income on all four income tracks in the on in the region up to the train level. Um, that one's relatively easy to achieve. Um, but yeah, some are definitely easier to achieve. I, I would like a little bit of a zhuzhing with the donations. Yeah, um, especially because we fill them all up basically. Every time you play the game, like they're kind of all going to get taken. It's just the order that you you grab them. Yeah. So when people hear donations here, what you really should think is that we're spending our money as captains of industry in order to lock in end game points that are based upon, you know, that reward us based upon certain ways that we've built out our game. Right. Yeah. Like how many projects do I have in the East? Two points for project in the East. You know, that that type of that type of thing. So but like, because but it can be like half your scoring can be in these donations at the end of the game. Which is thematic because Carnegie is, you know, noted for uh, how many libraries around the, the nation are built because of uh, Andrew Carnegie's uh, generosity. Right. That Ben, did you finish stuff. your point? Because I remembered the thing I forgot earlier. Ooh. Um, I'm, I, I could go. I can go back to my point, uh, but it, I would rather you go back to your. Uh, you finish what you were saying. So the, the point I want to make when I was talking about mean is uh, here. Here's the word, Kalis. The, there, <laughs> this this game has something kind of in common with Kalis, which is like you can play Carnegie and it'll be a friendly game in which people just take the action that kind of like helps them the most on on each turn and like you can play Kalis in kind of a friendly way where nobody ever really moves the the bailiff or whatever it is and ends up knocking people like having people's actions be completely wasted uh like this is one of those games where players do kind of like have a choice in terms of like how much they're going to dial in the nastiness and i would say like if you're not playing Kalis as a cutthroat game you're not really playing it if that you're not said, messing I think with the Kalis, Kalis yeah. gets played in a friendly way probably like half the time and i think that carnegie falls into that category of like probably plenty of people are just gonna take their turns da 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 i'm filling out the slots how many points do you have that's how many points i have you win like and it's that kind of game and then there's playing with paul and and the rest of us now where it's like <laughs> oh we're aware we're starting to see the edges here where it's like oh i can really wreck this guy on this turn and so it feels a little bit not exactly 18xx but like you need to be exploring those edges of like oh i can knock tom out of the game right here yeah, you know no, like no, that i've had i've had those edges like i've had those i've been on the receiving end of those edges actually a few times like even in that seven hour game there was that moment where paul and my friend john 
flip this token, which we haven't even talked about this token, uh, that in the three and four player game, um, there are these tokens that that's allow you to take a different action than the one that the round leader chose. And they flip their token in a way that would screw uh, me and Trey. But and at, the, at that moment, I was like, oh, those <laughs> those those mother effers. Right. But then actually it was fine. For me, it was fine. It was like, oh, okay, I can just do this instead. And I've actually found that being on the receiving end of these more cutthroat moves, mm-hmm. I've been able to pivot pretty easily in this game. Mm. Uh, I don't. I. It's just. It's. It's funny. It's. I have not really. I've, I haven't been stymied by the map. I haven't been stymied by the cutthroat things. Um, you know, I've had some things. Oh shucks. You know, I've had oh shucks moments, but um, I just then just. I, I have found that it, that you are able to keep plowing along, which I don't know if that's the game. I don't know if it's me. I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm an apologist. Who knows? But I haven't had that problem. Whereas, Tom, you needed to do a construction action at the end of our game and couldn't. We were playing a three-player game. You were the third person. There's only 20 rounds in the game. This is why you get the compensatory tile or whatever. But like you're, fa- you're not being able to do construction at the end was probably like almost like 30 points that you lost easily it was easily 30 points and yeah and and when it comes right down to it that compensation of getting that one tile um is is that enough for everyone getting one more turn than than you do in terms of action selection maybe but when you add on to that the fact that you are the last person to go in the first round and so the best departments could be gone the best map locations in many cases could be gone and there are better and worse uh, location, locations and departments. We're we're, we're pretty sure about that. Um, it, it all adds up to. I don't. I don't think this is really balanced too well. But look, I, let's let's end it where let's end it here because we uh, we have something else we want to talk about today. Uh, this is a, this is a polarizing game for for us. Even the people, even even Trey and I, who have a, a good number of reservations about the game, uh, still find there's a lot to admire and there's a lot to dig into this game. And for for people like uh, Ben, you know, Ben, I I hear a, a, a full throated uh, recommendation of this game, and yet. I'm also hearing you recommending several changes to it as well. So, well, just in the just in the the initial setup, sure, right? Like that's I, I think that I think that this game does a brilliant job with creating a, a huge decision tree. I think it's I think it's great that on on your turn you have to stop and you have to look at what every other person is doing. You have to look at every, what everyone else's office building is like, where their position is, and you have to get into your you have to get into their mind and say. What do I think they're going to pick on their turn? Like, I really want to do this thing now, but I think that they might do it. So maybe I'll do this thing instead. Or, ooh, I think they're going to do this. And even though I want to do action C, I need to do action A because they're going to do action B next. And if I just go for action C, then this is going to fall apart and that's going to fall apart. I think those decisions are amazing. And I think... Uh, managing your meeples, growing your meeple, uh, your meeple pool is really fascinating. How you work with your income, how you spend your R and D, whether your R and D is going to be on your player tabs to get more projects available, or on the board and the transpo tracks, so that way you can pull back your income is cool. And I think what I'm excited about is to just keep going back and playing in this sandbox and trying different, um, trying different departments. Because I do fear that we that 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 the, that we may be sort of stuck in a group think here. Could because be. I was just listening to um, 
shut up and sit down. And they were actually talking about this too. And they were talking about it and they're like, well, you know, you know, you really don't collect income every turn. You know, it's only here. It's like only on certain turns. And it occurred to me that the way they must be playing is they're not trying to get people in every region at all times. They're probably putting multiple people in in, in a single region and then collecting a big income when that pulls back. And that's what I'm assuming. But the point is that they may have a completely different meta. And it made me realize there are so many different ways to play this game. And I, I, I think it's great. Incorrect and correct. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, that is Carnegie 2021. Uh, I think all three of us say that you should try this game. It is, it is a design that is different than every other design that we have that we've ever seen and is worthy of uh, your time at the very least. So uh, check it out. Next up, we're going to talk about elegance. Sophistication. <laughs> we're gonna, we're that gonna, what it means? Is that what it means? <laughs> we're going to talk about style. Chandeliers. You need <laughs> chandeliers. Well, you know, Countess Luann on The Real Housewives of New York famously has a song <laughs> that goes, Money can't buy you class. Elegance is learned, my friends. Oh, my God. There you go. There you so we go. have to learn. Trey. Elegance. Trey, why don't, you, why don't you start us off? What are we talking about when we talk about elegance in games? Well, first off, I think we need to acknowledge how this topic actually came about, which was that this is the topic that Paul wanted to do last week. And he <laughs> kind of reached out to uh, some people in the podcast to get our thoughts on elegance and also like what games we thought were elegance. And Tom and I both wrote back, you know, pages of thoughts and games Treatises. and all these other things and paul reacted by saying actually i think i'm gonna do mean games <laughs> I, think, so, I think i stepped into the wrong end of the pool <laughs> well but he may have also thought that i was trying to invite my myself onto on his podcast and that, and that wasn't that no. wasn't going to happen so Trey, i think Trey we would never do week, that we, like, we already did bro. all this work on elegance we should we should do elegance there you yeah. go absolutely absolutely yeah we have a lot to say so first off, I say like um, elegance as a concept. I think it's something we reference on the podcast all the time, and I and I don't think like we we haven't defined it exactly, and that's probably like okay. Like elegance is a super subjective topic to begin with, right? Like, it, and I think it's a little bit like the the cliche about porn. pornography. Yeah, yeah, you know it when you see it. Uh, but certainly, like my what I call elegance may not be what Tom calls elegant or Ben calls elegant or, or our listeners call uh, elegant. So just like first off, just no right answers here. But like, let's explore the the concept. Sure. Because I think a lot of times I, I we put elegance on a pedestal of saying, like, this is the thing we want from our board games. Right. And it mm-hmm. but it doesn't just mean like, oh, this game is good. No, like I'm rating it incredibly no. hi- highly, um, but it does seem to be like it's this thing that you're reaching for that you want to achieve in your games mostly. Yeah, uh, I, I, I think say. like my the, the the greatest game ever invented is Demacher, and it is not an elegant game. It is no. an amazing game, but it is not an it is not an elegant game. And if you were to make it an ele- elegant game, you would destroy some of what it make what makes it so amazing. So, so. While I love some of the most elegant games ever, it, it, it is not my, – my favorite games often are a little inelegant, and I'm okay with that. So elegance, I would say, it does, does not equal simplicity, 
but that's part of it, Not right? per se. Yeah, exactly. Like simpli- simplicity does figure into it. Like maybe it's the denominator in the elegance uh, equation. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, well put. And I think if it's, it also like the opposite of elegance is not complex, simple and complex. Like we do, we deal with this with BGG all the time with like the idea of weight. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think weighty games can be elegant, but the, um, I think the, where it's going to, where elegant games are going to be complex is going to be kind of like in the decision space rather than in the rules load or the mechanics load. Yes. Yes. Um, I think that's, I think that's what it is to, to me. Uh, an elegant game is a game in which the mechanisms that bring about the complexity of decisions are slight. So the, the, right. the mechanisms that bring about the game are are somewhat are, are somewhat simple or are refined and yet the decision space is an explosion of possibility right and 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 tough decisions that's that that to me is is sort of the the, the numerator and denominator of, of elegance when I think about it and I don't, yeah, I, don't I, I don't think that's any, that's a complete definition either because some of my examples kind of step outside of that boundary too yeah, I was I was thinking about that because that was the first thing that jumped into my mind as well, right? You have this inverted proportion of rules to strategic depth, right? Like mm. like fewer and fewer rules, but you have like more and more decisions and choices and inter- interactions to me is sort of like the backbone of elegance. But then I was also thinking um I was thinking about the games that I was I I sort of was drawn to in terms of thinking this is an elegant elegant game. Like, you know, one of the one of the games that that Trey and I have been losing our minds over was the transcontinental. And I have a compulsion to call that an elegant game. And yet when we teach it, it takes like an hour to teach. And I was thinking, why do I feel like this is an elegant game? Like, what does it give? Why is it giving me that feeling? And I think that there are some other elements that maybe might, might um, contribute to a sense of elegance. Um, I think that sometimes having an effortless interplay of systems where the systems that are in the game kind of flow together in a way that just make, perfect sense like i think we see that in brass as well right like brass is you know feels very elegant in its way like a lot of times people talk about economic games like yeah this is good but like i might as well just play brass right and i think that also there's um i think clarity of vision um also contributes to elegance um and also um in a certain way i think presentation also contributes to a sense of elegance. I don't think it causes elegance, but um, if you have a game, but you can screw has, it up. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you have a game that's like all sorts, all sorts of craziness um, on the board, or you know, the art, whatever, it can, it can detract from the sense of elegance, and the other way around, it can also contribute to a sense of elegance. Not that it has the theme has to be about ball gowns. It's not like Rococo. It doesn't have to be about going to the ball or museums or whatever. Right. But like a sophisticated presentation helps kind of sell the feeling like this is an elegant game mm. to me. I agree with all those all those points. Uh, it, you you put them differently than might have, but I think kind of end up in the same place. It's interesting because I'd also kind of put down like, you know, are elegant games kind of easier to teach? 
and like transcontinental is not necessarily the easiest teach, but I also do have, I think that of as, as an elegant game. And I think we're kind of circling around something of like, uh, like one thing that may be elegant also is like, does a gate, does the theme of the game reflect its mechanisms? Like how coherent do these things line up? Like there's some elegance in that as well. And part of that ends up making the game easier to understand and teach, right? Like if the mechanisms of the game match the theme really well, then you just kind of narratively understand it and the game flows and has those interplays. Yes. That you're, that you're talking about there, Ben. Yeah. Yeah. I I think uh, some, uh, I even have splatter games could not seem less elegant. They could not seem, you know, they're... they're Depends they're, on the game, right? It, it does, gonna, yeah, gonna, but there are there, a few... I think some important distinctions in different splatters. Yes, but there are a few splatters that, while they are kind of chaotic, once you understand the concept of the game, you kind of understand the game. It doesn't really take that much more for you, you know, everything, every rule that comes out of that, once you understand the concept of the game, is easily onboarded by the people listening to the rules because they're, oh yeah, that's that, right? I understand, mm-hmm. I, I, even though I'm learning 10 different rules, all of the rules make perfect sense because I understand the metaphor that we're operating in, right? Which yeah, game is exactly. more elegant, Indonesia or Food Chain Magnate? <laughs> I don't think this is a hard question. Uh, what, what do you say? I say Indonesia. Yes, absolutely. I think it is. I, I, I think it is. But I, I don't generally think of it as a, a as an elegant game per se, right? It's because it's highly complicated. But once you understand what the game is about, kind of everything flows the rules out of that. Aren't really that hard for Indonesia? Mm. I don't. I don't. Yeah, like, I think you don't have Zimbabwe a lot of different is. cards that break the rules. Yeah, I think Great Zimbabwe is another elegant splatter, right? Yes, a roads and boats is is. Even though you're you're throwing chits all over the place, it's incredibly simple. You you have a donkey, you have four boards, See, and you I have dis- a duck. Here's the thing: like I disagree on I disagree on roads and boats, and especially like antiquity. Antiquity not elegant. No, antiquity's not. The thing elegant. that's not elegant about roads and boats is like you've got that sheet, and like here's all the different things you could yeah. do. Like it's I got agree. a bunch of different stuff you can do, and all of these things kind of work differently. Like that's not elegant. It's rich. It's a huge sandbox of decision space, but that that's not elegant to me. And I just don't feel, I don't feel like, uh, you know, other than like the weird, like the, the least elegant thing about Indonesia is, is, is the, like the weird TV dinners rule, right? Like that's the <laughs> least elegant thing about the game is like how you combine these two different kinds of companies into this third type of company. Cause that's like an exception to the basic idea of how the game works. Sure. Sure. If, if that makes sense. Like oh, that's yeah. the least elegant thing. It's interesting. But it's also like an exception, and exceptions are the opposite of elegance. And I think that elegance also, like games, can have ele- elegant aspects to them, right? So, sure. I think that I think that Roads and Boats is a game that that has elegant qualities to it. But I I kind of agree. I think that like you know, there's a lot of conversions to be made, a lot of things that have to be tracked, and also like lots of little bits and pieces, which to me kind of make it not feel elegant. But it is. But maybe has maybe there's an elegance of that maybe that's where the clarity but of vision comes from. I'll put it to you this from. way. It's, it's, uh, I would say when I teach Roads and Boats, I say this is a game about logistics. What you're going to be doing is, is you're going to be taking base things and turning them into more complex things. And in order to transport things from here to there and creating an engine that allows you to do that, that's what the game is. And I, and I can teach that game to you in five minutes 
give you that sheet. And yes, you have a sheet that you have to look at and see, oh, how do I make this? Oh, there it is right there. It's, it's, it's that line right there. It just, it's sort of like a recipe for everything mm-hmm. else in the game, but I've taught you how to bake. You already know how to bake. I'm just giving you the, the recipe list, and you choose what to, what to make. So in that sense, to me, it is, it is kind of elegant because, it's, it, it, because you don't need – once you know the rule of the game, which is super quick to learn, everything else is just knowing what turns into what, right? That, right. That's, that's, that's and, where I come from. Yeah, and I think, I think that's – yeah, go ahead, Ben. I was gonna say, um, you know, similarly with Maria, um, there's something about that game that feels very elegant to me. Which is funny because that game does have certain giant situational exceptions. Which is like, oh, in the second year, um, there's gonna be this election, <laughs> and then there's also, oh, you can make this this thing neutral, and then oh, if it becomes neutral, this has to happen. Oh, and then if it becomes, it can go over to Austria. Oh, you can do this. There are all these like scenarios that can happen and you always have to go check wait what was that what was that but the actual act of playing it felt very elegant because the day like not day to day but action to action turn to turn you're basically just moving some pieces around Mm -hmm. and then you're playing a very simple card game Mm -hmm. and like the game maybe this is maybe the game isn't elegant maybe this is a game that has an elegant core but um it but it felt elegant to me it felt like i got a huge experience out of well, you, you kind huge... of said this before it's like there's different pieces of this game and the way they interact with each other feels really organic mm. and interesting that yes. to you says elegance well let me let me make one example that maybe may make this distinction or at least in in trey's view of sure. of elegance um there are plenty of games that we play now that have like different parts of the board where they have like almost like different mini games or like different rules to the different sections of the board yeah and like a game that i you know my favorite lacerda is the gallerist and like the gallerist you can look in there to do different parts of the board in which different things are happening Mm -hmm. um i would say that those different modules interact in really interesting ways that that feel pretty seamless in a way and i'm I'm gonna slam a different game here like game trajan always left me cold like the, there are different parts of that game that you can explore, but you can also just like opt out of going to certain sections. Like if you play yeah. Village, you can kind of opt out of going to certain sections. And so there's interesting interplays that happen between them, but it's not, I don't know, it doesn't organically necessarily fit together. You can, in Kanban, it feels like in between a little bit here, where like you've got the different pieces and how well do they interact. And for Gallerist, that feels really seamless and elegant. And Trajan was kind of... I can do that or not. It doesn't really matter. Where I choose to go is going to determine my game. That that yeah. that doesn't feel as elegant to me. When Dimitri plays Trajan, it is just the drawing cards game. <laughs> he's he's doing the he loves set collection. Dimitri absolutely loves set collection, and there is a there is a way to play that game. He's he's done quite well in that game by playing almost eighty percent of the time playing set collection. Um, mm. Let's talk about why elegance is desirable. I know the word elegant, we, we, we like that. Um, but for me, something that elegance does is it brings the possibility of heavier, deeper experiences to more people. You can, I can play, I can teach and play a game that is very strategically satisfying with people that would never play a, a, a similarly difficult game 
uh, because of the elegance factor, because they're able to understand and see how these interlocking mechanisms come together, see how quick it is to understand, and then realize once they're playing how hard these decisions are. Uh, I, I think that's that's a really great thing. A lot of my uh, elegant games are games that I realize I love, and yet I could play them with almost anybody. Are you, yeah, so it sounds like you're saying does elegance enables accessibility. I, I believe so, yeah. I believe very much so. And I think in terms of expanding that, look, I would love to just pop people down and say, we're playing Democker, and uh, people are going to revolt. They're going to leave. They're going to have, have, a, have a bad time. But if I sat them down and I said, let me teach you El Grande or Genoa, right? I can, I, 15 minutes later, we're playing the game. I've, I've taught you enough. And when they're playing their first and second turn, they're not at sea. They're not lost. They kind of get it they, because it's because the elegance of the game makes them understand how it's kind of almost intuitively they kind of know how these pieces are meant to go together. Right. That's that's where I think of it. I think that's 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 just about right. I think that's. You know, it just it gets you to the fun faster. Yeah. And I think it also makes um, I think a really elegant game is will will probably appeal to someone who is newer to the hobby uh, as much as someone who is seasoned or maybe like would appeal to maybe a, a larger swath of, of of gamers from light to heavier gamers, perhaps like the elegance sort of creates this. This is universally fun. It sort of like gets us to that point. But at the end of the day, I think it just it it, it gets us to the fun. It gets us, we, yep. we're not dealing with the we're not focusing on what are the rules. We're we're we are we are getting into the fun, and the fun is generally caused by our interactions with other players and the game. Yeah, as opposed to as opposed to a high like a more of a manufactured experience. Correct. Which does mean, though, that that to some degree, um, elegant games tend lighter. They're not solely lighter, but they do tend toward the lighter games. Like, Trey, you and I were talking about abstract uh, strategy, strategy games, right, yeah. and, and puzzle games and, and, and that sort of stuff. Those have a much higher tendency towards elegance, if, especially the more narrow we def- define elegant, right? Yeah, I I agree, but it's interesting that like I generally don't like abstract strategy, but it's imp- and so it's not. Yeah, Go is incredibly elegant, yes. right? And you could you could probably look at it and say like Go is more elegant than chess. Yeah, right, because like chess, you could say well, unlike you just have you just have a single piece in in Go, and you're gonna have a lot of them, but in chess, you've got different rules for different pieces. Yes, so like by definition, that's. I would say like chess is less elegant than go, but like, I don't think we, if that's, I don't think that's ultimately what elegance is. Cause otherwise we would just be playing abstract strategy games and we don't want that. I don't think that's yeah. not what we're doing when we're playing, when we're playing board games. And, it, and again, like maybe this is where we're talking about, like, it's not even just about simplicity either. There are these other things that enter in, like the interplay of the various pieces, the narrative, like how well does it work with the theme? How easy is it to teach? Um, that, yeah, I mean, in the end, we're still we're still kind of circling around. Sure. I mean, Tic-Tac-Toe is one of the simplest games in the world. I don't want to play it. I got, yeah. you, you know what I mean? And so it's not as simple as 
is only a, a, a piece of the puzzle. And mm. the heavier the game gets, the more fungible what simple means is, right? The, the Galarist was a perfect example, right? It's not a simple game. It takes a long time to explain. But because of the elegance of the way these pieces interlock, it does feel more intuitive. And maybe intuitive Cohesive. is the, Yes, yeah. yes. Than other things, for sure. For sure. But yeah. one, and, you know, one final and, you know, thought sure. from, yes. from me, sorry, it just in terms of like uh, my final bite at the elegance apple in terms of what it's not. And I, I was looking at like um, fiddliness. Yeah. Like fiddly isn't elegant. And I was almost like it's fiddly almost like the opposite of elegance in the sense of like, is that helpful at all mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In, ter in terms of like because we even might. Like fiddly is a is a, an also kind of an elusive term. Is like there's certain there's a lot of fiddliness in resource tracking in terraforming Mars. There's a lot of fiddliness in playing uh, antiquity. Uh, there's a certain amount of fiddliness in like moving your power around in Terra Mystica or yeah. or or a Gaia project. Those are still really uh, excellent games. But like sometimes we might now I think like fiddliness is even like expanded to like, oh, we, we know the game and then you go and find in the rule book, oh, here's an exception to the way we understood the game to work. Or like the game normally works this way, but oh, here's an exception. And you might look at that and say, oh, that's fiddly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, should we should we talk about the uh, the Elizabeth Hargrave uh, article that you, that uh, that you brought up? You know, Trey? let's I think let's a... table that just because I think like that's a great discussion about weight. Sure, sure, sure. We'll save and, that like, for another time. And those, and, like, I think we've circled it a little bit. Okay. Um, but let's let's move on, and we'll we'll, we'll circle back right. to that another. I'll time. say that. that... Uh, so getting back toward this simplicity, I think puzzle games have a strong tendency to be simple. And sometimes, look, Azul is basically abstract strategy, right? It's a well-themed abstract mm -hmm. strategy, but it is crazy elegant. It's one page of rules, and there are so many hard decisions in that game. Uh, Tim Fowers, now boarding, I think is a mm -hmm. really elegant game. Very, very, you know, the, 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 the experience of the game is a lot for a, a real little. Um, Docmus, I think, is, is really good on the, on the puzzle game side of things. Uh, and then I also want to say Reiner Knizia, you know, when we, we did a uh, sommelier a few weeks ago, we were talking about uh, Knizia, and we said that his thing is simplicity. He ha comes up with these designs, uh, or at least he used to especially, uh, that were just a really elegant idea for a game, and then that's it. That's the game. He doesn't he doesn't tack on all sorts of other things. Modern art is four different kinds of bidding in a closed economy. That's it. That's the whole yeah. game. That's all it's about. You Send are making this podcast so hard to annotate, Tom. I'm just so uh, many games you're naming here. And sorry. this isn't even your top five list yet, is it? No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> no. It's, there is a character limit on the annotation. All right, all right, all right, all right. I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna stop talking about that then, uh, except to say diplomacy. I will say diplomacy is one of the heaviest <laughs> games there is. It is people study it like chess in terms of this move and and this gambit and so on and so forth. And yet, I can teach you the game in ten minutes. Ten but minutes. It's not on your list. What? You know. But you know what's funny though is that when you talk about Azul, I agree. Azul is very elegant. But if Azul had the art of Bonanza, do you think, in, in all honesty, do you think you would look at, at Azul and be like, this is an elegant game? Even though it is an elegant game, if it had like crazy, instead of tiles, there were like 
just like cutouts of crazy beans and with like 90s art. Um, I know for me personally, I might say, I, I can imagine myself saying this is a game with, uh, you know, maybe elegant, elegant features, but I would not call it an elegant game. And uh, so I, that, that I think is an example of where I think art could, could sure. impact elegance. Although that, I may be the only one in that, in that opinion. Well, you're, you're asking Fair. the wrong guy because I've, I'm on, I'm on record as, as being relatively immune to the, to the looks of a game. Like it, it, okay. the, if Azul had, <laughs> you had like containers in elegant game. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> if, if Azul had the thinnest cardboard, chits that were five colors of chits instead of all these amazing designs and i start playing that game i'd be like oh this is really this is a a really elegant game i would still i would still probably be there that is fair that is fair well that's why i asked i was curious yeah 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 yeah. Yeah, to to me it doesn't you know i do think though that you're right that the way a game looks the Let's put it this way: the way a game comports itself can lend toward toward a feeling of elegance. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I do. I think so too. I think so too. Well, should we get to our to- should we get to our top five? Sure. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. So let's do uh, let's do. I don't know what, what order do you want to do, Trey. We'll go from five to one, and uh, why don't you give your number five? My number five is the gallerist. Yeah, for the reasons that we've already said. Yeah, it really is. Um, ben, what is your number? Um, God, I, my my orders are in flux, so <laughs> I'm gonna go. That's a disaster. Decide. I really have like really eight. mailing it eight. in. I'm just I'm just deciding right now. Okay, at this moment, <laughs> number five. I'm gonna say on the underground. Really, really clean, simple game with lots of interesting decisions. Um, I, I on the underground has been a real surprise for me over the past year and a half. I have yet to play. I gotta try it. I keep looking over at it, and it certainly looks beautiful and 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 elegant. I'm done to try it. Yeah, it's great. Considering what a simple thing is, you're laying tracks. That's yep. all you're doing. Is this but, the 2019 version or the 20, 2006 version? 2019 version. Okay, this is the one where you guys had your Kate Middleton. Yes, running yes. through London. Yes, sorry. yeah. Uh, no, it was Meghan Markle. Oh, sorry, Meghan. Either Markle. way, I'm happy to happy to play it with Kate Middleton too. Right. <laughs> uh, my number five is a Reiner Knizia game. My favorite Reiner Knizia game, actually, Taj Mahal. Uh, Taj mm-hmm. Mahal is a game. It's it's a it's a card game with a map. That's all it is. There, each round, there are five things that you can win, and you're playing cards and trying to bluff people out to get as many of those things as you can. And depending on when you win those things, you're going to score more points than the other people in the game. It, it, it's crazy how that this hasn't been duplicated, how Taj Mahal hasn't been done by more people. But it really is, it really is two mechanisms that work perfectly together, and that's the entire game. It's amazing. Mm. Number four. This one may be controversial. I actually have Age of Steam. Age of Steam, elegant. Ooh. I just feels just really straightforward. No surprises once you understand it. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe it's. I, I think it might very easily be the most elegant of all the train games, right? It doesn't pass Ben's looks good test. No, no, it does not. No, it's not that it has to look good. It just. Um, you no, could, no, it just. I think I think if a, if a game looks cluttered, if it has iconography all over yeah. the place, all that stuff, I think it detracts from it. Um, 
We're, that, not, we're um, not saying you're shallow. Does it have iconography all over the place? No, I'm saying I'm saying that's no, it doesn't. Yeah, okay, okay. It doesn't. And it's, I'm just saying I'm not saying presentation is going to be. It's not like it's a staple of it, but I think it's that presentation can take a game from being inelegant to elegant. Right. Um, but I, I I I totally respect that. Um, as an elegant game, because I, I actually was toying with the idea of putting Railways of the World on there, uh, well, which is basically the same thing. Yeah, which is your yeah your Ben's Age of Steam Ben's Age Railways, of Steam. right? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, I think a, a economic games have a certain elegance to them, right? Because everybody understands money. To well, so, some people maybe not, but the the, the idea <laughs> the of elegance an econo- of debt, the ele- the elegance of I don't have any money and I owe more money, so I have to spend more money so I can hopefully make enough money that I no longer owe money is essentially Age of Steam. That's the, virtually every decision that goes into the game is a, is about that. So yeah, I like that. I like that choice. Ben, what's your number four? Okay, um, Trey, you do not have to annotate this. Okay, I'm just, I can't help it. I have to say, I'm going to give, I'm not even going to give a comment on this. I'm just going to say, I'm going to give uh, three honorary mentions to uh, Medici. No, 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 no. Tammany Hall and Arboretum. I'm sorry, it's (laughs) out there. You can't take it back. Okay. So, that's it. But now my number four. As if it didn't happen. Oh, my God. (laughs) Number four, I'm going to say Iki. I love Iki, and I think that it's a really beautiful Elliot Rondell for all the reasons I said earlier and every other episode I've talked about it, it's, I think there's a, there's a huge amount of elegance to it. I love it. All right. Well, listen, your, your uh, participation in this group is going to depend on how we think about it. So it better be <laughs> elegant. <laughs> yep. It better be. My number four is, uh, is a deduction game. And uh, I love a good deduction game, and I don't think there are many. Matter of fact... I might make an argument that this is the only true deduction game. Sleuth, the Sid Saxon classic. Uh, Everybody has a hand of gem cards, and there is this other deck of cards that tells you what kind of questions you can ask of the other players, and you're all trying to determine what the one missing gem in the game is. If you think about it, Clue, Clue is a bunch of people moving around to different places and rolling dice and doing all this sort of stuff, trying to find what the what the one card of each type uh, is, right? And that's the solution to the murder. This is the stripped-down, most elegant version of it, and I absolutely adore it and can almost never find people to play with me. Yeah, you have always championed this soulless deduction game. But <laughs> I will try it. I will totally try it with you, Tom. It, it, let's put it this way. Clue is not really a good game because it's not a great game anyway. Yes, because, it is much better than Clue. Yes, because the you win by making deductions, by making leaps, by putting things together. And in Clue, you find the right piece of information first, right? That's what Clue is. This game requires thought. It requires study. It requires figuring out who to ask that one crucial question at the right time that isn't going to just check one box, but is going to mean, oh my God, that means you don't have any pearls whatsoever. If you don't have any pearls, that means he did said this, which means this, and, and the uh, cascading list of deductions that can happen late in that game is a wonder. So that's mine. That's my number four. I just want you to know you have now forced Trey to annotate Clue onto the podcast, just so you know. Just so you know. <laughs> and we're over our character limit at this point. There will be no Clue. And no one needs to click on Clue. Everyone knows Clue. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Moving on. Number three. Is... Trey, what's your number three? 
I have here transcontinental. Okay. Yeah. And I, the thing is, is like, it, this probably doesn't belong here. I just, I love it so much. It does have a lot of elegance to it. I think probably the least elegant thing about the game is actually like the character cards. Mm. Um, like that's where things can get a little weird and different and, and differentiate out but other than that like the game just kind of does fit together in amazing ways and maybe it doesn't pass all the tests but it still feels like part of the reason i champion this game so much is that it it does feel elegant to me and i kind of like unlike some other game we reviewed on this podcast like i can't wait to play transcontinental again there you go there you go i'm obviously that's i i would let's let's get a game going this week trey um uh for my number three uh, I'm going to choose a game that uh, I, I sense is not like really totally loved on this podcast, but it's liked. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I'm going to say Wingspan, I think, is a really elegant oh, yeah. game. 100%. I think, yeah, I think it's um, it, this is a it's an engine builder and it's about as simple of an engine builder, not the simplest, but it, 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 it creates feelings that you can get from terraforming Mars in a very simple way. And um, and the, this is one where presentation, I think, does lift it up. I think this is you look yeah. at it; it feels elegant. These beautiful, uh, beautiful uh, presentation. presentation of birds and this and this board that you have, and the way that it has this very simple loop of uh, when you're on one row, if you want to, if you're in the right column, if you want to do an extra version, if you want to get like an extra egg, you have to, I think, pay a card. And then on the card row, you have to pay an extra food. And on the food row, you have to pay an, like this loop of things. There's something about it where I think everything kind of works. And um, I think there's, and I think that that's reflected in its success in many ways. Um, so I think Wingspan is, is really, um, really one of the, the most elegant games out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally, when, the moment you said it, I'm like, yeah, of course, of course. Because it has that thing we were talking about. It's like once you understand the theme of the game, once you understand that, everything can be seen through that theme. And it has some really fun things. Like certain bird cards will come up, and this bird card has this effect. And you look at the bird and you realize, oh, I know what that is. I totally get that. That is, that's a predator bird, or that's a, right, that, that's uh-huh. a bird that does this. And because of that, that's the card rule. There's some wonderful, wonderful things in in our, our gaming hobby that are like that. I think of uh, weird, weirdly, I think of Lahav, which is not a very elegant game, but it does have you know a building late in the game as the church, right? And what does the church do? It converts a loaf and a, a loaf of bread and a fish into <laughs> loaves and fishes. And I'm like, oh god, that's brilliant, right? That's you look at that and you're like, oh, I get it. That's fantastic. I think Elizabeth Hargrave did a wonderful job of making most of the cards work that way, where you look at it and you say, yes, if this was a, if this bird is going to be turned into game terms, this is what it would be. It's fantastic. Really well done. Um, my number three is a game we talked, to, talked to a bunch about. Santiago, I think, is a crazy, yep. crazy elegant game. Um, you, uh, we are bidding... The lowest bidder is going to be the person is going to be the person that is going to decide where the water goes, and we are we are placing tiles down and trying to to put together combinations. I mean, it's it's almost ridiculous how uh, simple the game is, and yet the amount of joy I have every single time I play it is just absolutely vast. Right? Shall we go to number two? My number two is Diplomacy. (laughs) 
there you go. You mentioned it. Uh, really, the rules couldn't be any simpler. Uh, the interactions, both on a personal level and in terms of what you can do on the map, are incredibly complex, uh, mm-hmm. and it makes for a very rich game. I mean, in fact, probably like the least elegant thing about the game is the map itself, in that it like it does have certain edges and things that you have to kind of learn over time. Yep. Kind of going back to our like our, our Carnegie yeah. uh, discussion of like you know the map is not completely balanced, and that's probably a good and interesting thing. But like the actual mechanisms of like how you're, you know, each piece you have on the board is worth one (laughs) that's right when you support with another unit that adds one you know uh it's hard to imagine a simpler system of conflict resolution and then you know you talk to people you write your orders they all happen simultaneously they resolve you do it again and and you know like super simple elegant game and ben before the the modern euro game existed trey and i would go to the los angeles gaming conventions and we would play in these huge diplomacy tournaments where there oh were there were seven tables six tables of seven people each playing the game and uh, it was you know bef- until in, until Hans Teuber put out uh, Settlers of Catan and we started morphing into something else, we would we would play that all the time. It was amazing. It was, it was wow, great memories, great memories of those times. Yeah, well, conventions like great were great for playing it because you weren't playing with your friends. No, so you weren't destroying friendships. You were playing against people that you didn't really know, and so it was no holds barred. Yeah, which was fun. Yeah, JPL sociopaths—they were wonderful. We loved them. <laughs> <laughs> um my number two Hansa Teutonica, which mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. I mean, you want to talk about ratio of simplicity to depth. This game, you have a handful of pieces, one of the easiest games of all time to set up. Um and it it just you know, you just have to listen to the episode, the review that uh, Matt and I did a few weeks ago. It's a great game, super just so streamlined and and here is a game like uh, Carnegie that always has the same opening, <laughs> but it, it doesn't feel samey. It doesn't feel same. I think it's because you just sort of get into it. You just start playing and just go. Yeah. Um, it's great. It, it, everyone should have it. I prefer the expansion map for it in terms of it not feeling so samey. Uh, I think that the the original map, the the fight for the extra action uh, bonuses down at the bottom that that's the thing that gets the most samey about that but yes totally i agree that's that's the it gets a little samey with that but not so much and i think that yeah. uh, i haven't played the eastern map but the britannia map is awesome yeah totally agree awesome my number 2 is friedrich uh, you were talking, Ben, oh. about how uh, maria is kind of if if not elegant elegant adjacent um Friedrich is the elegant version of Maria because all of the other things you were talking about, all of the other edge cases and extra rules and things that happen are not in Friedrich. Friedrich is the – all of the rules of Friedrich are on a playing card. Everybody gets a playing card. It's iconographic, and you look at the four things, and when you look at those four things, you know every single thing you need to know how to play Friedrich, and it is – Almost the difference between the two games is that the added stuff in Maria um, 
adds a level of complexity that is good. That is nice. I like it very much. Um, but the simpler Friedrich is a, a, an astonishing amount of tactics and decision and nail-biting and hard decisions and negotiations, all of which are around a game that can be explained on a playing card. That is the definition of, uh, of elegance to me. And last but not least, number one. Trey, what is your number one elegant game? This is my number one game, period, Concordia. Con- I didn't know that. I didn't know it was your number one of all time. We did our lists last year. We did our <laughs> we did our top twenty lists I, I right there. I, it's right I in front forgot. of Todd and everybody. All right. So yeah, uh, Concordia's number one. Super simple uh, mechanisms. Very, you know, very easy to understand. Um, high replayability. Um, and I think I was I was just looking at it here and I was like, oh, interesting. Like, you know, maybe this is part of my thinking of Age of Steam is that like both of these have like really simple rule systems. And now they've kind of lended lent themselves to like different versions where like you play Concordia, it has great replayability. But then every once in a while, like you do want to play a different map, like you yes. play a different map and then they're going to introduce like one rule difference on this map, which is really like what Age of Steam has done. Right. It's like yes. we all understand core Age of Steam rules. And then you go to a different map and there'll be like one rule change. Uh, and I know that's not what 18XX does, but there's still something kind of yeah. to that kind of core idea of like, let's we've, we've got certain conventions, super simple conventions that we've adopted. We know that work and now let's play off those variations. But uh, Concordia is, is my number one elegant game. And it's why it's my number one game overall period. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. Amazing. And the weird thing is uh, last year, uh, before the the pandemic struck, went up and spent some time with with my brother, who I play games with quite often, and uh, my brother and I and my wife and and his wife sat down, and over the course of three days we played like one big game a day, and the games we played were Pipeline, Everdell, and Concordia, and I thought Pipeline's going to be the hard one f- to get them to 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 play and to understand and all that sort of stuff. Everdell is going to be the easiest one, and Concordia is going to be almost exactly as easy. And I don't. I, maybe I did a bad job, or maybe it was just an off day. But for some reason, it was the opposite. It was the absolute opposite. Concordia was the hardest game for them to to understand, and I I couldn't wrap my head around why because the rules didn't take very long to teach but they had a hard time with it it's it's weird because i totally agree with you that i think it's one of the most elegant games that's that's ever been made like you you look at the map and you know what it cost your little playing card tells you everything you need to know about what it costs to do this and to do that every card that you choose to play shows you super simply what it what it is that it does and it's amazing but for some reason Pipeline was the easiest game for them to grasp, and and the hardest was Concordia. yeah. It's, it's hard. That's hard for me to understand how that happened. I don't know. Yeah, because like Concordia, con, okay, Concordia though, yeah. like on your turn you play a card, like that's that's the mechanism of the yeah. game. Yeah, yeah, I know. Like <laughs> that's yeah, what you do. You play a card on your turn. It drove me crazy. Yeah. I'm card. like, what? What? Why? Sometimes people get confused by the scoring of Concordia. Sometimes yeah. that takes like a moment for it to kind of like click with them. But, um, you know, that is surprising. That uh, is I guess, I guess what it is is easier. that pipeline is actually fairly elegant. Once you understand that, that you're, you're making bad uh, crude oil into good oil, and the way you do it is by counting the number of segments of that color, 
it becomes a really simple, like, they all got it. And it's, oh, you make the most money, the person with the most money at the end of the game wins. Boom, super simple. And and, and the rest of it, for some reason, I don't know, I, I think that, that crowd just responded to the, the, as we said when we were talking about Age of Steam, there is something elegant about economic games because it's really easy. It, you, there's no theme that you have to understand. It's it's make the most money. How do you make money? Here you go. That's how you do it. But anyway, yeah, I totally agree. Concordia is is absolutely amazing in terms of the the elegance of its design to the depth of its play. I'm glad yeah. you approve. <laughs> ben, what's your number one? <laughs> well, my number one is actually is actually my number one game of all time too, which is kind of funny. Carnegie. And I think that's extra. What's also funny is that it's also Concordia. <laughs> really? It's like with without a doubt, like Concordia. That's why I was. That's why I was so surprised, Trey, because I didn't know that we shared this in common. <laughs> this like that like it's amazing it's it's amazing and it's so the rules are so simple and the 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 strategy is oh is so deep and it's always it's always a good time and it's always you're oh, it, it doesn't play out the same every single you think it would no. but it doesn't it always goes in a different direction and there's so many things you could do with those cards you know you can there are there are pages out there on the internet of you know, you could start the game by playing a Mercator first, or you can start by doing this first. There's like, there's actually a, a pitch for starting with any card and, or going down any strategy. Um, you know, sometimes you do find yourself going for the same things. Like I, I tend to always go for the colonists. I, I just am drawn to that strategy. But when you play with the same people over and over again, you kind of can't do that because people pick up on that and then you've got to adapt and then you've got to figure out something else. And then everyone's cutting into each other's strategies. And now you have another layer of the game that has presented itself to you. And and again, all of this coming from just a, these very simple cards, very simple actions. It's perfection. Fantastic. The best thing I can say about Concordia also is like, I love this game and I also feel like I'm not that good at it. Like, <laughs> I feel like I lo- like I don't win this game much at all it still kind of remains elusive um it's kind of like tribune tom like i love yeah, yeah. tribune um but i it's been very rare that i win a game of tribune but i still love every single time we play that game yeah 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 i i, I totally know what you mean um my number one i went the other way i just went what is the what is the game that at the end of the day gives me the the most joy over a long period of time with and and is just a whisper of a game. What is the 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 the, the, the least that gives me the most? And that's the, that's the way I went with that. Which I know when we talk about elegant games, as we as we just did, there's a lot more to it. But I just wanted to boil it down to just that. And the game that has the least number of rules and the and and the least to know how to play, and yet has the most plays in it. Trey, what am I going to say? Avalon. Oh, good guess. Yes, but no. I, I, I went. Yeah, I was going to say that. You going to say Avalon too? Yeah, uh, actually, Avalon slash Secret Hitler were both on my my could have bins could have bins lists. It is on it is on my list, but I'm going. Are you going to say Ricochet Robots? Yes, I am going to say Ricochet Robots. Oh, I thought you said maybe Estates. Oh wow, Ricochet Robots. I'm going to say Ricochet Robots. Ricochet Robots is you really champion games. I got to give it to you. Like you've 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 got your your uh, your arsenal of games that you really want to put out in front of people. And nobody (laughs) nobody talks about them, and a lot of people don't know them. A lot of people don't know them. Uh, yeah, Ricochet Robots is is a, a game that that I could play with anybody at any time, and I love it unnaturally. <laughs> I love it so much. It is it is a, a real blast, and 
I, I've never found a group that it doesn't work with. And the fact that you could play it with 30 people standing around a, uh, standing around the table trying to figure out the, the puzzle of that game. Yes, it's a puzzle game. Yes, there's not, a, you know, a, a ton to it. But, man, for such a simple design, it, it's absolute genius. I love it. So that's my number yeah, one. I think it's super fun. I think the reason why it wouldn't make it onto my list is mainly because Yes, it's adaptable to literally as many people as you want because you can play with as many people as you want. And it's re- it is a really clever and super fun game. I, I had a lot of fun. Uh, Jesse taught it to me, I guess, after you taught it to Jesse. Mm. And I had a, a great amount of fun with it. But I guess for me, where where it doesn't quite get on the list is that, um, you know, is the strategy like where is sure. the strategic depth really as deep as some of these other games and so sure. so uh yeah uh, no it, it's but, not uh, it, in one way it's tremendously deep and in another way it's not very deep at all so i totally yes. i totally understand what you're saying um but it's kind of real-time abstract strategy right yeah yeah which are things trey doesn't like <laughs> If you if you put if you if you have a if you have a bucket called things I do Trey enjoy like. ricochet robots I do yes. I do feel like Tom like sometimes you gravitate towards games which are almost just like intelligence tests like you you're you're very smart and you can grok some of these games uh, and I feel like like sleuth and ricochet robots are games like you're very good at and I think like the problem with ricochet robots is like yes thirty people can play but I think for some people that game is stressful uh, yeah. for some people they feel like they're not included or they feel stupid when they when they essentially get boxed out by all the other players around them that can just do it better. Right. So that's yes, fair. great game. That's I fair. I enjoy uh, playing it. That that is. I think it's very revealing about you. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Uh, look, uh, yeah. Uh, what what I'm thinking when I think about Ricochet Robots, I think about the times I've taken it to. Uh, church groups and stuff like that right where where we sit down with these <laughs> the crap out of them no no i don't i don't play with them i i teach them the game and and i facilitate but i don't play yeah you smug jerk right you just <laughs> set it up and step back and condescend to them they love it they absolutely <laughs> love it and there is a there they've many people have told me and, and i think i think a lot of people feel this when they play that game. They can feel their brain going faster. They can feel their 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 circuit. Once they see it a few times, they start to rev up and 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 kind of get into the rhythm of the thing. It's amazing. Anyway, uh, that is it. We are really long, <laughs> so we are not going to have time for a, a a sommelier today. Sorry to say, um, and uh, that's about it, guys. Good episode. I really like this. I, I think it's yeah. Uh, what awesome. an elegant. Not an elegant episode. Inelegant. Inelegant. What can you do? I mean, I'm wearing a ball gown, so I feel elegant, but maybe the episode as a whole, not as elegant. (laughs) Uh, We have a YouTube channel. It's youtube.com forward slash C forward slash Game Brain Pod. Facebook group, Discord channel. Please get in those Board Game Sommelier questions. We do like them so much, even if some people don't always play the full theme. And you... I've been listening to Game Brain. Produced and edited by Matthew Robinson and Tom Donnelly. Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. More on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com. You can also reach us by email at contact at GameBrainPod.com or on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. Thanks for listening, and go play some games with friends online. 
or virtually make some friends with games.